Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is? Huh? Hump day! Good morning, everyone, and happy hump day from the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis with Brooke Grimsley and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on a Wednesday, January 5th. January 3rd, 2024. I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Oh, you're you're already forward thinking. Yeah, Randy, I'm, on I'm the new year. I'm thinking it's Friday. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this week has been way too long. You're trying to fast forward to the end. Don't you want to spend more time with me, Randy? <laughs> oh, I like having the Mondays off. That, that's a little nice. But then it does throw you off because this, then this morning I was like, oh, it is Wednesday. Brooke, did you see that Maryland Heights has gone to the four-day work week? No. It's happening. Oh, is this yeah. what we should be pushing, you we think, should. right yeah. now? How yeah. do we really push this further in the U.S.? I, I already tried it here at our station, oh. and I got really bad news. <laughs> okay. So uh, I went to our general manager, John Kioski, and I said, you know, we, we're thinking in the show about doing the four-day work week. What do you think of that? And he said, that'd be fine, but your show would have to start at 5 a.m. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that caveat, Randy. I don't either. So we're, we're good where we are. Wait a second. Yeah, it's, I know, it's, it's extra hours. Seven oh one. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Yes, Matthew. He's adding eight hours and taking away three. That's a not. That's not. That's not an ideal trade off. No. 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 Here's the problem. Actually, you're taking away four, right? Four. If we have to be here two hours early every day for four days, yeah, so oh, that oh, adds eight, right? Then and then do one less day. Three hours. Oh yeah, okay, three. Got it. Okay, math. Oh, yeah. math. Here's what you told me about that. Here, here's the issue I've always, I've always <laughs> had with the four-day work. No mathing here this morning. <laughs> the four-day work week in this business is that if the rest of the world went to the four-day work week, you just know they'd be like, yeah, guys, that means that fifth day you have an entire day to grab an enti- grab an audience that has nothing to do but hang out and listen to your show. So there's no way we're going to go to a four day work week in the first place. We're going to be working that fifth day no matter what. I don't like that. Rob. I'm just saying. I just want the four. You days. just know them. <laughs> So uh, here's the way it's happening in Maryland Heights, Missouri. Mm-hmm. To extend its operation hours, the city has implemented a four-day work week for its civilian staff. Instead of having all staff working five, eight-hour shifts a week, workers will be staggered and work four, ten-hour shifts. You know, a lot of TV stations are moving out to Maryland Heights. Maybe the yeah, radio station should adopt that as well. 
It's not we a, could take up that. No? We're, oh, okay. we're good here. We're close enough uh, yeah. to Marylandites. Yeah. yeah. I'd rather yes. work multiple days, shorter shifts. Than the, the being oh, yeah, in Maryland. I would much rather do five days of eight hours than four days of ten hours. Absolutely. By the way, one week from today, Danny Mac will join us as a regular member of the opening drive. Looking forward to Dan McLaughlin being part of our show. He starts on the 9th, right? Or No, that was a week from yesterday. Again. I don't know what day it is. Yeah, it's one week from yesterday. One week from yesterday. Okay. I have no idea what day it is, kids. Oh, no. But I do know this. I do know this. I thought I knew this. Six weeks from somewhere close to right now. The Cardinals are going to start spring training. Six weeks from somewhere close to right now. We are really struggling with the math this morning. That does feel a little bit weird that the Cardinals spring training is about to stop. And Randy, this has felt like one of the slowest free agencies that I can remember in recent years. It's amazing when you look at the free agent list. And some of the trades that we expected have been made. But the big people, the biggest people... Uh, Shohei Otani and uh, Yamamoto have been signed. But then you have Cody Bellinger, you have Matt Chapman, you have Blake Snell, the National League Cy Young Award winner, still out there in free agency. You have Stroman, you still have Jordan Montgomery in free agency. You have Reese Hopkins and Josh Hader out there in free agency. You have Harrison Bader, Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, Justin Turner, a lot of bats, J.D. Martinez, Tim Anderson. Uh, You still have some pitching out there. Jordan Hicks is still out there as a free agent. Uh, T. Oscar Hernandez will serve somebody well in 2024. There's a lot of players, most of the free agents actually, are still out there in free agency. So with that being the case, and by the way, the Cubs have not signed a single player to their 40-man roster (laughs) during this offseason. They signed Craig Council, gave him a bunch of money. They've added to their coaching and their support staff, but they haven't added a player. So if the offseason ended today and we were starting spring training, would you rather be in the Cardinals position having added the three starters that they have and got the, the, the relief pitchers that they've added through various ways, the trade with Boston and then uh, getting Riley, uh, Riley, no, it's not Ryan O'Reilly. It's somebody O'Reilly from the, I, oh, I'm going to get used to this. I know what you're talking the about. The Seattle guy. Yes. Uh, but would you rather have what the Cardinals have done and their lineup or the Cubs who've lost Stroman? They've lost Cody Bellinger, and obviously, they, and they've lost Jimer Candelario, too. Would you rather be in the Cardinals situation right now or the Cubs? And this is obviously as we sit here on January 3rd. If it, end, like if it ended right now, we're talking about right now, you have to feel at least a little bit better about the Cardinals' position, right? Because there's so many questions still, still with the Cubs. Now, will they sign Cody Bellinger? It feels like that that could be the case. Right. But the fact that it has taken this long is a little bit concerning. But at this point, it does feel like they are waiting on Cody Bellinger and that's going to be their addition. And he's a Scott Boris client. But if it's not Cody Bellinger for them, I wonder where they go. Do they sign Matt Chapman to play third? They could. They lost Candelario in free agency. Uh, There are a couple of other bats out there that they could use. A a DH bat like J.D. Martinez, he can still hit, give him a one-year deal. Sign Hoskins maybe to play first base. Uh, That would be a really good fit for them. Solaire to be the DH. The thing is, they need more than one player. Even with Cody Bellinger, they needed some help. And they do have Justin Steele at the top of their rotation. I like Steele a lot. Mm -hmm. And they've uh, they brought back Kyle Hendricks. Uh, They've got an okay starting rotation, but they do need to replace Marcus Stroman. And 
right now they don't have a guy that can do what he did last year, I don't think, on their roster for 2024. So what would you pick right now? I would I, I would rather be in the Cardinals' shoes right now. As a matter of fact, Brooke, when you look at the rest of the NL Central, the Reds have signed Jimer Condelario, and they signed right-hander Nick Martinez and Frankie Montas. Nice additions. But they need to be better. They were an 82-win team. But the Reds need to be better. They've improved themselves a little bit, but not... Mm-hmm. Substantially enough, I don't. I don't look at their lineup and say, "Okay, they're better than the Cardinals." And they do have, to to their credit, uh, they have some front of the rotation potential that I don't think the Cardinals have right now. If you look at what the Reds did last year, uh, Ashcraft had a, a 4.76, but had an incredible run. Hunter Green has great stuff. He's got a chance to be really good. Uh, so so they've got some guys that have a chance to be really good at the front of their rotation, but they don't have the experience that the Cardinals have. So I, I do like the Cardinals a little bit better. The Pirates, they're going to be the Pirates, right? They, they traded for Marco Gonzalez after he had been acquired by Atlanta. Atlanta traded him to Pittsburgh for virtually nothing. They brought Andrew McCutcheon back, but he's not going to be better for them. They signed Rowdy Telez, who I believe had been non-tendered by Milwaukee. So the, the Pirates are going to probably be what they were last year. The Brewers traded Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor to the Mets for a pitcher named Coleman Crow. They signed Joe Ross. They signed lefty Wade Miley. But they've taken a lot of hits to that that pitching staff over the last couple of years. I don't know if Milwaukee is going to be substantially better. So I'm, I'm looking at cards, Cubs, Reds, Pirates, Brewers, and I think right now, even though I wish the Cardinals would go get that number one, everybody knows that, yes. that, that I wish they had that front of the rotation pitcher, I still think the Cardinals right now, as I look at it, and this is six weeks before spring training starts, roughly six weeks before spring training starts, I think the Cardinals have the best chance to win this division. If I was a Cubs fan, I would feel personally just kind of a little bit disappointed. One, bringing in Craig Council, I honestly thought, Randy, that that would kind of almost open the floodgates for Chicago, because Chicago is considered a big sports market. They're, what, top five? They should be uh, top six or seven payroll team with the money that that franchise makes. Yeah. And if you're going to spend $8 million on a manager, there's two philosophies that you have. One, if we're going to spend $8 million on a manager, we're going to give him the tools to win. Or if we're going to spend $8 million on a manager, he should be able to make uh, wine out of water. That, those are the two, right? Those Do you are the think two that that's things. what they're thinking? That bringing might... Craig Council? That they, they literally just said, okay, we're going to bring in Craig Council. Also, the way that that whole thing happened, that's another reason why I thought that it would lead to some bigger changes with the Cubs, where we we're going to just really see them in the hunt, in the conversation. I know that they were part of the conversation for some of those big starting pitchers, but mm-hmm. then that dissipated pretty quickly, obviously, with Shohei Otani going to the Dodgers, with Yamamoto going to the Dodgers, and some other names that are out out there, it just felt like a lot of those players that they were possibly looking at, it dissipated quickly. And I wasn't expecting the Cubs, after making such an aggressive move and outing their manager in that mm-hmm. manner, yeah. bringing in Craig Council from your own division and paying him that kind of money, I thought that that would really open things up mm-hmm. for the Cubs. So I just, I wonder, I know that we have some Cubs fans in town, how they kind of feel about the state of it. Because if anything, yes, with the Cardinals, we do wish that they would add at least another starting pitcher. It feels like the bullpen is something that still needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. But at least they made some moves. Right. And that's the way I'm, I'm looking at it. Would I like them to do more? Yes. No doubt about it. But relatively speaking, when you look at this division, and that's all you can do is go apples to mm-hmm. apples because that's who they're competing against. You have to 
you don't have to, and that's why we have the text line, and that's why we have the uh, mic drop on the 101 ESPN app. You don't have to like what the Cardinals have done, but I think if you look at, at, at it rationally, the Cardinals have done more to help their team, and they had longer to go, too. They finished in last place, but they've done more to help their team than any other team in the division, in my opinion. Can I then get angry about something different? Sure. Yes, of course. Okay, uh, so what you're saying is it's an extremely gettable division. Mm-hmm. Have the Cardinals gone out there and got it? No, no. And that's 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 the disappointing factor. Is that when you look, when you break this down, is that yeah they've made more improvements, but this is a extremely gettable division, and it still feels like they're going into the season with obvious holes that are going to cause them to question whether or not they can win this division until July when we all expect them to make another move at the deadline should it be close to a division race. No, and I think that that is a very fair point, Rock, because that's a feeling, right, that you have had about this offseason is that, yes, you have to give the Cardinals credit for being aggressive, making some moves, bringing in what they think is a deficiency, not only just in their starting pitching with innings eaters, mm-hmm. but also in their clubhouse. They've made that really clear that they felt like by bringing in Lance Lynn Kyle Gibson that and Sonny Gray that they wanted more of that veteran presence and they think that, that matters in the clubhouse which I mean if you do look at some of the teams that did make it if you look at the Rangers that veteran presence did help but you also had some rookies and some younger guys some surprise players step up to the plate and were actually able to do a lot for the Rangers but I think that it is a little bit frustrating in that sense because you just kind of want the Cardinals to do more, not just compete in the division, but really show, okay, yeah, we're going to easily handle the division this season. And Brooke, the the 2004 Cardinals, who are, I think, most people that have watched the Cardinals for a long time, the best Cardinal team that we've ever had, even though they didn't win the World Series. They won 105 games. They were unbelievable, and they were loaded with talent. But what the 2004 Cardinals did after the 2003 team didn't make the playoffs, they had a couple of pretty good starting pitchers in Woody Williams and Matt Morris. They go out and they make the trade with Atlanta that netted them Adam Wainwright, most importantly, but an innings eater named Jason Marquis. Then they signed another innings eater named Jeff Supon. But the cherry on top for that team Mm. was a guy they had signed the year before that didn't pitch in 2003 named Chris Carpenter. And Chris Carpenter yeah, he's pretty good, huh? walked in and he, he, he was the horse. And he, he was shut down in August because of a nerve issue, but went 15-5 and five with a 3.46. Was far and away their best starting pitcher. They had a really good lineup, and they added that number one guy. And by the way, you can get tickets for the baseball writers dinner. Just go to St. Louis BBWAA dinner. Uh, and just... Just do a Google search for St. Louis BBWAA and you'll find tickets for the dinner where they'll honor that 2004 team. But the reason that that team won 105 is because those really good guys, the, the Kyle Gibsons of the world, the Lance Lynns of the world, the uh, Michael Miles Michaelists of, of the world, they've and this in this iteration, it was Supon, it was Marquis, it was Woody, they all fell in behind the number one guy. Mm-hmm. This team doesn't have the number one guy for everybody to fall in behind, and that's the difference. And to your point, uh, Matthew, the thing that could make this team go from pretty good, maybe 81-82 to a 95-win team is a number one starting pitcher. And that's what you're missing, and that's what you need. And at this point, it just feels like that cherry on top that you're talking about is what's missing for the Cardinals to just really put them over the top this season. And I don't think it's a bad idea to blow out your budget at times. I think that this is a good year because I think the Cardinals, I I think if they're looking at, if they're reading the room, Brooke, Mm -hmm. 
and looking around St. Louis, is there is there a lot of really real big excitement around this ball club this offseason? I'm not I'm not hearing it. People are coming to me and say, what do you think of the Cardinals? Yeah. And I say, yeah, I, I think they've improved themselves, but I don't think that they're a division winner. Well, they spent the last few months of the season telling us that we expect division championships. We expect yes. to win. We expect to be in the playoffs. Have they built a playoff team? Well, yeah, they have. But have they built a playoff team that we're excited about, that everybody's really fired up about? No, we have to dig deep and look at the rest of the division to determine that they're uh, a team that can win the division. And we had a text from the 314 that says, sadly, the Cardinals are a 500 team right now with what you're Mm -hmm, saying, mm -hmm. Randy. Even worse than that, still might not be enough to win their division. And last year, that's what makes it so weird. I did have higher expectations going into last season. And do you think that that factors into this offseason, too, because I don't know if anybody could predict it, that it would go as badly as it did this past season for the Cardinals, where everything essentially fell apart. And I know that they yeah. just kind of focused on a catcher. And we've talked about if it was a strategic mistake to really hope a lot of these other pitchers would step up, including Dakota Hudson. A lot of that stuff, it's like every little thing didn't pan out and go to plan. Is that the fear that once again, somehow everything's not going to go to plan and work out going into this season? Totally, because I don't think their plan is complete. And by the way, I, I just mentioned the number one starter. I haven't even mentioned the back end of the bullpen yet. Mm. They haven't added to the back end of the bullpen. Yep. So are yes. you really excited? You go into L.A. for the first four games of the season. Are you confident in Helsley, Gallegos, and Jojo Romero? I think it's reasonable to to think that they can be okay. But when you're going against the Dodgers and you're going against the Padres and you're going against the Phillies in the first month of the season, are you confident of your 7th, 8th, and ninth? Based on what we saw in 2023, I'm really not. No, and that's that's the thing, is that you hope that everybody, it feels like it's we're going in once again with hope that everybody will be able to bounce back from that performance last season. Of course, I think a lot of guys will, but it just kind of felt like a domino effect last year where it got to the point where everybody was really falling behind in every aspect of the game. I mean, even going back to Randy, you were talking about it over and over again and we saw it the fundamentals that were lacking for this team that was dramatically shocking to see that fall apart too hopefully Daniel Descalso will be a guy because he played on winning Mm -hmm. Cardinal teams he'll be a guy that can add some ideas in terms of restoring the Cardinal way the fundamentals that were lost last year that's Brooke I'm Randy coming up it is hump day and that means it's ask uncle Randy day get your text in our text line is open, 314-399-9646, 314-399-YO-HO. Ask Uncle Randy is next on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Got a question for Uncle Randy? Let him dive into his infinite well filled with wisdom to find you answers. Text 314-399-9646. It's Ask Uncle Randy on 101 ESPN. All right, here we are. It's a, it's a new year. I hope you're enjoying your uh, new year. Did you see the... Uh, well, no, Yellowstone's already on network TV. You're, Brooke is wearing her Yellowstone shirt today. I am. Uh, I love Yellowstone. Did you see that they're putting only murders in the building on, I think, ABC or something? No. Yeah, yeah it's it, that's been a Netflix exclusive? Hulu. Hulu exclusive. And now, oh. yeah, it's going to be on network. So, And that's a good show. Steve Martin, Martin Short, Selena Gomez. So if you get a chance to watch Only Murders in the Building, I think you'll get hooked. I haven't seen that. It's good. You'll like it. 
Ooh, okay. It's fun. I'll, I'll watch it's it. It's fantastic. Hmm. Yeah. I have you watched Yellowstone? I've never watched an, a single episode of Yellowstone. Brooke. Oh, you're missing out. Rock, have you watched it? Um, here's the thing about Yellowstone is um, I've never seen a show where the main characters who aren't that likable win every time. Uh, I think they're kind of likable. I know that there's they're some who, who are a little bit annoying. I know what you're talking about. Did they always win. Did, did Plowsy you... was talking about this on TMA. They always win. It gets kind of annoying. Did you binge it? Oh, yeah. I know somebody that binged like 20 consecutive episodes of Yellowstone. It was unbelievable. Oh, my over, gosh. Over the course of a weekend, yeah. Did they? Like slept for like two hours. Oh, my gosh. And then just watch, 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 watch. It was crazy. I, I tried not to do not that. Crazy, there, fun. If, but if there is a really, really good show, mm-hmm. then you get hooked. And then you start looking at the time. You're uh, like, oh, uh, I need to cut myself off from this. Jack Ryan on um, Amazon is that way. Back, Jack Ryan mm-hmm. is a very uh, it's bingeable show. Yeah. It's great. All right, Matthew, what do we got there on the old text line? Um, 314 says, hey, Randy, uh, Smalls and the gang on the uh, Unsportsmanlike before mm-hmm. us were having an interesting segment this morning. What is proper door etiquette to you? How long do you hold open a door for someone? Is there a time limit? I would say there is a time limit, and it depends. If it's a family member and you you have like 10 seconds and that person is lollygagging behind you for some reason, you hold it. But here's what I do. I wait until the last person gets through, and if there's 10 feet between that person and the next person, then I'll walk through. But uh, I'm not going to wait 20 feet for that. So it's not time as much as it is distance for me. Mm, If, If there's an opportunity for me to walk through the door and it closed behind me, and that other person doesn't have to open it while it's still open. That's that's where my cutoff is. I always do that. If somebody is, if I'm, if I can see somebody right behind me, I'm mm. going to open the door for them and step out yeah. of the way and hold it for them. I don't expect. I do think it's nice if they say thank you, but I'm not expecting it. See, I'm not going to get that no. mad at them. I don't but, get mad, but Carrie and I both we say if they don't say thank you, we say you're, you're welcome. welcome. Yep. Yeah. I, I just try to avoid some of yeah. that stuff. So but, I just assume that they're saying it under their breath and they, I want them to say it a little bit louder. But do you know what's even more awkward is when you think somebody's going to open the door for you oh, and yeah, then they right. don't. Right. That's weird. Yeah. What Which, do you do in that situation? I, I'm fine with opening it. I don't, I don't have any trouble. I want to be the polite one, though. Yeah. You just show that you're the bigger person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it obnoxiously long. Yeah. So I, 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 if there's a group of 20 walking into a restaurant, I'll leave it up. Op- I'll keep it open for all 20. One time in college, I got hit with somebody. I was opening the door and somebody walked up at the door. They go, I don't really need you to do that for me. And I was like, all right, cool. Let the door, <laughs> let the door go. Shut, shut it right in their face. Right I was like, face. there you go, brother. I'm right on. All right. Yeah, you, do you ever me. do two where you somebody opens it for you, but you aren't as close as they think that you uh-huh. are? And yeah. then you are you do a little yeah, shuffle. Yeah. You do yeah. that little awkward like shuffle <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Uh, Brooke, look at you. You're so Midwest already. Yes, so I am. It actually happened to me the other day oh, so where somebody opened it and I was kind of far oh. away and I was like, oh, I'm going to do a little mini sprint. This is going to look weird. But either way, I'm very grateful. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Warms my Midwestern heart. Dear Uncle Randy, I have an interview this afternoon to be a people manager. Right now, I'm just an individual contributor on my team. I know I'm ready to move up and my manager does too, but I have some stiff competition. Any tips? I would suggest that, so it's an interview to actually manage people. I, I would try to display your leadership skills but do it kind of not not quietly but under the radar just point out that you feel like you have the ability to bring the best out in people to get people to do things that they didn't think that they could do and that's why you want this job dick vermeil always said that the proudest aspect of his coaching career was that he got players to do 
the, the things that they didn't think that they could do. So if you're a leader, you have the ability to motivate and get people to to experience their greatest potential. And tell the person that's interviewing you when they say, why do you want this job? Say, well, I want people to do their best. I want people to live up to their potential. And I don't say I think, say I'm somebody who my history shows I can get the most out of people when I'm working with them or when they're working for me. I want everybody to be a part of the team. And what I'm going to do is get these people to live up to their maximum abilities. What's the best way to do quiet leadership? I, I Number one, it's lead by example, mm-hmm. right? Just don't expect anybody to work any harder than you would. Be the hardest worker of your whole group. And the other way to... It, have quiet leadership is to go individually when somebody does a really good job tell them individually hey you're doing great and i'm really proud of you or don't out somebody who's not doing a great job bring them into the office and say okay i like you a lot but here's how we can get better and this is what we have to do to get better so don't take them in front of the whole office and shame them for a mistake that they made and if you if your entire group (laughs) is great again another dv Tell them they're doing great and you love them. I do think that it is a lot of lead by example. Mm-hmm. And something that I've just really you know, enjoyed here is just how happy everybody is, and especially leadership-wise, because then I think everybody else in the building is feeling that. Right. If your boss is kind of looking angry, or if you're the leader in this mm-hmm. position, and you're just kind of shuffling around, you look angry, and... Every, it puts everybody on edge because even if you haven't said anything yet, they see that body language and they pick it up and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I feel really tense right now. Something's going on. Right. I should be worried. It's impossible to be a great leader if you lead with a negative vibe. Mm-hmm. It is. And when, the people that I've covered, Whitey Herzog didn't matter if he was running a baseball team or a football team or a bank or a radio station or an insurance company. Whitey Herzog was going to be great at whatever he did because he was a leader, is a leader that leads with logic and common sense. Tony Larusa, in a different way, was the same way. Dick Vermeil was the best ever. Joe yeah. Torrey, as great a leader as I've ever been around, because ultimately what you're doing is leading people. And those people all have the ability to get the most out of people. Joel Quenville was the same way. In his own way, Hitch and Baruby were that way. You know... When you run, and you see it, we see it in sports all the time, when you run across a great leader. Yeah, I luckily, of course, I wasn't here to see Dick Vermeil coaching Mm -hmm. and also Whitey Herzog, obviously. But Whitey is always around and Mm -hmm. he is so nice and approachable. And every time that I have met him, I'm like, it's it's so easy to see how he was able to get the most out of players because he's just so kind and has that positive energy, as you're saying about him. Communicates, which is huge. And Dick Vermeil, it's like, I wish I could talk to him all day. DV was the best. So it nice. is the best ever. Uh, that, I, I love that, man. Uh, dear Uncle Randy, I work on a small team, and there's one, and there's a day where both my coworker and I need off. My boss is saying we can't both be gone on the same day. How do we handle this? It's not like the company's going to go under in one day. Well, somebody's going to have to work, though. And again, this is part <laughs> of leadership. If there's a way that you can move it to another day, I would go to your boss and say, hey, I got this thing, but... I know you need somebody, and I'll work. We do that all the time here, oh, right? Yeah. If yeah. McKernan decides to show up, 
we'll uh, we'll we'll get out of here. But uh, if not, I like how you you phrase it in that way. Is he not here every day, Randy? Well, no, not really. Uh, but sometimes we, they we we will be asked at eight thirty. Hey, can you guys work till eleven? And we might have things going on, but it, we definitely it, don't go. Oh no! no. <laughs> Here's the thing: if you have to get off for a very important doctor's appointment or a huge family function, then try to work it out. But if yeah. it, if it's something where you can get out of it, out of it again, it, it goes back to being a leader. Maybe you are the boss, but it, being a leader, say hey. I, I can handle this. I would. That, that's my DNA. I would offer that first. If you mm-hmm. can't get out of it, you can't get out of, it, out of it. And what you have to do is say, okay, I will do everything I can to make our company work and not go under because I'm gone that day. Problem solving is always ba- valuable. Yeah, huge. Um, dear Uncle Randy, for the past five or six years, I've brought I've bought my brother brother-in-law gifts for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Not that I need some kind of return gift, but they don't even have the decency to say thank you. And every time I say that's it, I'm not doing it anymore. My wife says, "Oh no, you have to." What is the cutoff here? When should I put my foot down and say enough is enough? Thank you, love the show. Thank you very much. I would go, and it is a difficult thing, especially because it's your wife's brother, right? But. If you have bought gifts and you haven't had reciprocation, even with a thank you, I'm going no thought gift for the rest of time. I'm going $25 Target gift card, bing, bang, boom, yeah. done. Don't put any thought into it. Give the the most minimalist gift that you can get. And if somebody says, well, a gift card, thank you. Say, well, I clearly don't know what you like, so I just wanted to get you something that you could spend yourself. That's really interesting that... You give gifts, but they don't give any returns. Yeah, so yeah, that's the expectation, though, is that he needs to continue to give gifts. Uh, and I get the, the wife-brother thing and maintaining the relationship. But then they don't give something back. That's the thing. If there's no reciprocation, then go as minimalist as you can. If you're required to give the gift, give the smallest, least thoughtful gift that you can. And by the way, a Target gift card is an awesome gift. It I'm, is. I'm not saying it's Starbucks, not awesome. Starbucks, even? Starbucks, yeah, but it's just something that you don't have to think about. I, ha- I have... On the counter at home, I have a Target gift card that I can't wait to utilize. Ooh, love a good Target I know gift you card. love your I Target love gift a good cards. Target gift card. Yeah, that's, that's where you can uh, find me. I know what you're getting for your wedding. <laughs> just a bunch of Target <laughs> gift cards. We put that on the wedding website. Yeah. We don't even have a registry. It's just <laughs> Target gift card. Target, Brooks Target yeah. fund. Yeah, David, David will roll his eyes and say, "Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for giving wedding presents to Brooke." <laughs> you know, happy wife, happy life. I always want to get a short one in here because we've had ones okay. like this before, and I always I, this is a good update for the general public. Dear Uncle Randy, my mother-in-law gets mad that our kids spend more time at my dad's house than her house. My dad lives three minutes away, she lives 40 minutes away, and her and my father-in-law refuse to ever come to our house or pick up the kids. Is it our fault that we don't go out of our way to please them when they don't give us any middle ground? Nope. It is not. Nope, nope, and nope, nope. that is, if they're 40 minutes away, that's an hour and 20 minutes of drive time to allow them to babysit, as opposed to six minutes of drive time, three minutes to three minutes back. I would reiterate, hey, we love you, and we would love to have you taking care of the kids whenever you want to come over and take Mm -hmm. care of the kids. You are welcome to. But point out to them, say, hey, we just don't have that kind of time. We've got kids. We've got jobs. The kids have things to do. We have things to do. We would love to do it more if you move five minutes away we'd love to bring the kids over on a regular basis but we just don't have an extra hour and 20 minutes a day in our 24-hour day
that would be really tough to do too mm-hmm. all the time. They should be able to come over and visit you. I, I don't know. It does concern me a little bit as we're talking about me getting married that I always see so many of these like mother, father-in-law comments. Uh, you, you, you work through it. Yes. It's it, it. That's the thing. We go back to common sense and being a leader. There, there is something to be said, and I think sometimes the truth is the best way to go. Say. That's an hour and 20 minutes a day. We just don't have that. And hopefully they would understand that because I'm sure they had, well, clearly they had kids, right? Because mm-hmm. their kids had kids. So say, uh, you've been through it. We, don't, we just don't have an hour and 20 minutes a day to drop the kids off here. We're sorry, but we don't. It almost sounds like in this situation in particular, and I'm sure that they can text back and tell us, but do you think that they have tried that in the nicest way possible and the message is still not getting through? That, and then if so, yeah. what do you do at that point? Yeah, well, there's there's literally nothing that you can do because you aren't going to I'm not going to I'm not going to say waste. I'm not going to utilize out of my 24 hour day, an hour and 20 minutes because they want to see the kids more often. At some point, you you can't do anything about somebody who's an adult who refuses to act like an adult. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. hey, thank you very much for the text. We do appreciate them. Yeah, it's you know what? There's nothing wrong with telling it like it is. Just, you know. <laughs> It's but in a in a gentle way, but yeah, tell people uh, tell people what's going on. Now what? Now we're getting texts in. Don't do it, Brooke. It's a trap. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> uh, yeah, not wrong. Um, <laughs> no, right? <laughs> no, that's not what you're supposed to say. <laughs> coming up on 101 ESPN. Why doesn't Colton Pareko play on the power play? That's coming your way on the opening drive with Brooke, Randy, and Matthew on 101 ESPN. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. And if your homework means a new deck, then turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, trex, evergreen, and azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber is an authorized Yeti dealer and also stocks a large assortment of grills. So celebrate summer with a new big green egg, Weber gas, or charcoal grill, and all of the accessories from Hackman Lumber. Come visit their showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The Blues return to action tomorrow night against the Vancouver Canucks at Enterprise Center. That's a 6 o'clock pregame and a 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. Then on Saturday, the Blues are at Carolina to take on the Hurricanes, and that's a 6 o'clock start. Brooke Grimsley, Randy Carricker, the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And Brooke, when Colton Pareko was a rookie in 2017-2018, he averaged a minute 56 of power play ice time per game. In his second year, that dropped to a minute 18. Since then, and that, that, by the way, was the Stanley Cup year, minute 18 average of power play time per game. In his third year, 46 seconds. In his fourth year, 25 seconds of power play ice time per game. Then in 21-22, 17 seconds. Last year, 37 seconds of power play time per game. This year, Brooke, Colton Preco has averaged five seconds of power play ice time per game. He's got the big shot. We know mm-hmm. that. And 
we know he's a nice guy. Sometimes I get the sense, and I'm not sure about this. I've never asked him about this, but I get the sense that he doesn't want to hurt anybody with that massive shot. But I, I can't figure out why the Blues don't play Colton Pareko on the power play. Do you have any thought about this? I, I'm surprised about it too well, because at this point, bad. the power play is really bad. That was remember that was my New Year's resolution is for the Blues somehow to figure out how to fix their power play because at this point in some of these close games that we've talked about, especially if you look at this past weekend, there was a chance for them to use the power play one to gain momentum and possibly could help them win the game. We've seen that several times this season where they haven't been able to capitalize on that and still nothing has changed. And so that's what's a little bit confusing to me is that I know that they brought in a consultant to help with the power play, but still Steve Ott is in charge of it, correct? Yes. And so they're looking at different things, but the personnel hasn't changed as much. If something's not working, why not switch some guys out? And Comparego with his shot, that would be great to at least see if you can get something in there. And if you don't want to do it long term, which I'm not sure why they would want to do why why they wouldn't want to do it long term. See if that works out or at least can provide a spark to get things moving in the right direction. Because right now, the Blues power play is 31st in the league in mm-hmm. power play percentage. One of the worst things that we can do is compare players that are not Hall of Famers to Hall of Famers. And we do that with Pronger and Pareko all the time. But I'm going to do it with Al McInnes and Pareko. Okay. Because many times what the Blues would do under Joel Quenville, who was an NHL defenseman, is they would set up Al McInnes on the right point and everything on the power play was geared towards getting the puck to McInnes on the right point. And he would unleash that lethal slap shot. And sometimes it would go in the net. Sometimes it would be saved. Sometimes it would hit an opposing player in the ankle and break his ankle. And I don't know, again, why the Blues, especially because they have really good passers on this team. Robert Thomas passing to mm-hmm. Colton Pareko from the right point, letting Pareko just blast away. I think that would be dangerous in many ways for the opposition. I don't know if Colton Pareko is reticent to shoot that shot from the point, but why not try it? Why not say, okay, Colton, we're going to line you up in the right dot, or even at the in, in on the just anywhere in that right circle, but the, the right dot, and so we and we want you to get the puck and blast away. I don't know if he can shoot a one timer; doesn't matter. Uh, set yourself up to shoot, and don't worry about what is in front of you. Just mm-hmm. shoot the puck from the right point. I think that'd be a great way to start. And oh, by the way. Put a blue in front of the net, too. Put a big blue in front of the net, and if he happens to hit a guy on the butt and it goes into the net, so be it. But it's a power play goal. He's done that before. Yeah, right. Well, himself. But (laughs) still, at the same time, it it seems like if something's not working, why not see if you can get a little bit at least creative with the power play, right? Because we've already got some texts in, one from the 217. He has to rest sometimes. He's already carrying a huge load. No power play equals stronger Colton. Then set him down when you don't have the power play. You know what? It's not that heavy. He can. What's he averaging right now per game? I would say like 21, 21, 22. 22. If he, if you give him an extra minute per game on the power play, it's not going to kill him. I promise. Okay. There's two answers to that, And, and one of them makes your power play stronger overall. One of them gets his rocket shot onto the power play. Well, one, the one answer is defensive minutes on the power play are not that taxing. 
So it, it really mm-hmm. shouldn't be considered something that's really going to wear him down. Secondly, you can change things around early on in the game. You can give him shifts with the second power play unit, and then late in the game, if he's already gotten 21 minutes, just just put in Kruger Falk into the second power yeah. play unit. The point is, is that you're trying something different, that, that, that there's a reason, there's a logical A-B reason it could work. He's got a rocket shot. Try that. And Alex Ferrario threw this out when we were talking about this yesterday off the mm-hmm. air, and he said, listen, you could even go two defensemen on your second power play unit, make have Kruger Falk be the one who actually has to cycle the defensive duties, and then you have Preko out there just as a slap shot down in the offensive end. I would love them just to try that just a little bit to see what work. And then again, Preko's not getting taxed defensively on the power play. Why not try, if it's not working, why not try a guy with that skill set? If, if your power play is this bad, 31th in the league, why not utilize that skill set? <laughs> the 31th. 31th. 12 I for 100. I love the 31th. <laughs> I do. So much. Uh, Brooke, they're, they're 12, 12 for 106 on the power play, 11.3%. And there has to be something there, too, because with Craig Bruby, and you have this change, obviously, to Drew Bannister, and I know that I mentioned that Steve Ott is in charge of this, mm-hmm. but... You would think that at this point, if something's not working, why not try something different? There has to be some more reasons internally, like you were talking about Rock, about what Alex was saying with his conversation with Drew Bannister, because there has to be a feeling that he wouldn't be able to handle that, or they're afraid it's going to take away from the rest of his game and might be too taxing for him. But with Colm Pareko, I feel like he won physically. This is this past season or this season has been his most healthy. Yeah. I feel like we're finally seeing a fully healthy Colton Pareko, knock on wood, okay, yep. at this point, and we're really benefiting from that. And he's able to handle a lot of minutes. Yeah. Why not be able to utilize him? Because at this point, the power play is something that is hindering the Blues right. so much. One of the great lines in the history of sports was John McKay, the old USC head coach, uh, when uh, asked why, or if he felt comfortable giving O.J. Simpson the football as much as he did when O.J. was in college. Yeah, it's not heavy. Ball's not heavy. So uh, Colton Preco can handle the minutes. And we're getting a lot of uh, texts here talking about Colton Preco not hitting the net. That that you, you can't ignore the fact that the guy has about a 4.4 percentage career, mm-hmm. career-wise. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little lower, maybe a little higher. He's at 9% this year. He's, he's hitting the net at the highest rate of mm-hmm. his career far and away. And so this is why we understood last year or two years ago why he wasn't a part of the power play. The point is, right now you need it, and right now he's having the most accurate of his, uh, year of his career shooting the puck, so why not put him in situations to use the more accurate shooting? And I, I don't, I've never played the sport, so I can't, I don't even know I, all the I rules. I thought I remembered your, your amazing career. hockey career. But tell me this, because you guys both played. <laughs> if you put uh, somebody in front of the net and the, the puck hits their stick and it goes mm. in, like they'll deflect it in somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that still allowed? Is it, oh, Does that count? Yes. Still? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're putting the biscuit in the basket. Okay, yeah, that's, there you go. There you go. Yeah, somebody yeah. in front. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, I, did, I didn't know if somebody else touched it when you shot it and it wasn't on net and it just deflected in somehow. I didn't know if that was allowed oh, no, as that's, part of the sport. That's very helpful. Okay. You would think that that would make a lot of sense in that situation. And the other thing, too, if if... Theoretically, that Colm Pareko is worried about hurting someone, if theoretically he is. If you do it once, then everybody's going to start moving out of yeah. the way. That, and Al McInnes is perfect evidence of that. Yeah, you don't want to get hit by People that. People will see that and say, eh, yeah. it's not worth that. Chocolate I'm not going to stand in front of that. I, I loved I loved that power play. Because sometimes you would have a power play where the Blues would, you know, the Blues have had nights where they've had like five power plays and three shots. Al McInnes would have like five shots every oh power play. Gosh. It was unbelievable. It was great. Does he want to come back just for a little he, bit, he, just he for the power it. play? He could do it today. I feel he's, like he could. Yeah, he's in great shape. He's one of the well. He's Al, Hall of Famer, of course. If he's you're one. listening, you are. Help.
<laughs> Coming up, get your text into the year. Comfort service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. Take it or leave it. Coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Take it or leave it. Brooke, Matthew, and Randy, it's time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. All right, kids. Don't know if you saw this women's basketball last night. Grambling, 159. College of Biblical Studies, 18. 159 to 18, grambling over the College of Biblical Studies. Take it or leave it, the College of Biblical Studies never had a prayer. Oh, Randy. I'm going to take... A biblical studies. Yeah, College the of co- Biblical Studies lost in basketball to Grambling. That's honestly a lot women. lighter than I thought I, you were going to say. First, I thought it. when you said women's basketball, I thought you were going to talk about the Caitlin Clark. Did you see what happened Ooh, with yeah, her last night? Yeah. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. How exciting yeah. was that? Pretty, 40 points. Pretty impressive. That was really impressive. Great. So yeah. congratulations to her. Where is this College of Biblical it's Studies? It's based in Houston. Really? Yes. And they uh, they lost by uh, 141 points. 141 Oh, man. 159 to 18. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's not much of a blessing, is it? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's so bad. I need to study a little harder, girls. (laughs) No. Does that shake your belief a little bit? Oh, guys, no. <laughs> oh, she she put up a prayer and it didn't go in. <laughs> that did not work out whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I'm always surprised by some of these colleges. I know that there's so many colleges, but then mm-hmm. when you hear it, you're like, really? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. so, it's so random yeah. to come up with that. So, they should have tried a, high, a Hail Mary. Oh, that's a really, really good one, Brandy. <laughs> <laughs> Take it or leave it. Wu Suck Go, guys, is off the market. That was somebody that was kind of hoping that the Cardinals would get a reliever out of Korea, and he's going with the Padres. Take it or leave it, the Cardinals should have been in on the Wu Suck Go sweepstakes. I'm going to leave that. Uh, no, you don't want a reliever where he uh, where you say, we suck. You just no, don't. No, that's more than that, Randy, the, because what do we the, need? What, the ball? what do oh, we it, need? Go. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's like having a, it's the old, the old kicker Chris Blewett. You know you you don't want that. Chris Blewett. Oh yeah. man, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, but here's the thing. Outside of the name, that could have been a chance to really add to the Cardinals bullpen. Oh, take it. Yeah. I'll take for four it. seasons, sub four ERA. Yeah, and he has the potential to make more than fifty million dollars right over the course of the contract. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that the Cardinals could 25 utilize... 25 years old? Yeah. I, I would say the Cardinals could use somebody like that. Mm-hmm. But still, like, do you want... You would get his uh, jersey, uh, wouldn't you? Oh, I would. Yeah. We suck. Go. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, we we'll suck. Go. Well, we we'll suck. Okay. Uh, it's like the, the like the old Pirates pitcher, Bob Walk, or Homer <laughs> Bailey. Do you really want... Those guys. It's no, you don't want a reliever who describes how your fans, how your fans' day. You get there in the first inning, woo! By the sixth, you suck, and then they go. Yeah, yeah. No, but he would have been a good guy to get for the Cardinals. And the Cardinals have done so well in the Asian market, whether it was yeah. Sumano or KK or bringing Miles Michaelis over. They, they've done a really good job with pitchers generally that have come, except for Chris Vonderha, that have come back from Japan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I do think it's interesting. This feels like this offseason has been the year of the Asian market, essentially, mm-hmm. with Japanese and Korean pitchers. I did think that the Cardinals would be able to get in that market a little bit more. Come on, Lars. Be better. 
All right, should we be mad at Lars for not doing his job recruiting? Mm-hmm. I think he did try. Wow. He I tried. think he really wow. tried. Yeah, I know, and that's it, hard for me to say. If your job is a recruiter and you don't get the guy. Yeah, what happened? What kind yeah. of chairperson of a fan club are you I, right now? No, we are, we are still the nutty neuters of Newt Nation yeah. over here, but... We might need to work on the recruiting a little bit, Lars. I know we don't have beaches and things like that, but still. We've got we've got Alton. Okay. <laughs> It'll go over there and hang out on that beach right over there. Nice. I haven't done that yet. Yeah, don't. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I'll avoid that then. All right. And we love Alton. We just don't want to lay on the beach over there. Okay. Uh, Matthew, what do you got? I know your hatred for the Cowboys, but take mm-hmm. it or leave it. Dak Prescott is the best quarterback in the NFC right now. Oh, I'm going to leave it. I, I think mm. I'd take Brock Purdy over him Say at the moment. Purdy. Yeah, Dak is really effective at home. <laughs> uh, but, I like how you add at home as the yeah. caveat there. Uh, but yeah, I I would say I would take Prescott over. And this is a big statement, by the way. Mm-hmm. Two franchises that I probably hate the most. I'd take Prescott over Matthew Stafford. Okay. I would take Jared Dak. Goff. Jared Goff is pretty darn good, but I think I'd take Dak over Jared Goff. If if the Lions had a chance to trade Goff for Prescott, would they do it? I think they they would. And uh, then I'm I'm still taking Hertz over Dak. Me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like this one. Uh, take it or leave it. Lars did everything possible. He just can't sign a check. True. Ooh, take it. Yeah. Take I'm gonna take it. it. I'm going to take I, I it. I wish we had tickets to give away today. I, I would say no game, no game in rock and roll. Just give it a six three six because that is that's a winning take it or leave it right there. Can I just say one thing that it was really interesting during the holiday break to see that Shohei Otani he went to a Rams game and it's like they acted like he hasn't been essentially in the same area the whole time. Yeah, right. Are the Angels that irrelevant now? Where basically it's almost like he it's almost like he had been playing for the Yankees and then he went to LA. It's he's been in town. That's Surely he's been to the Rams games. Yeah. And isn't Puka Nakua the uh, doesn't he wear seventeen? Mm, I think does he? Yes. So yes. and they gave Shohei number. They took away Puka's number. Hmm. So uh, you got one more here, Matthew. Uh, yes, I do. Take it or leave it. After years of abuse, the Blues power play has just given Talman's elbow a rest. Oh, oh, I'll take it. Yeah. Maybe it's a shoulder. I don't know. But that's a great point. That is a good point. Yeah, he doesn't he, he hadn't had to work very hard on the power play this year. The Blues are very selfless. Yeah, they are. They care about yeah, people. Think about they it for Talman. Like, you, you, you finally get the Blues are on the penalty kill. And you're mm-hmm. thinking, okay, now I can finally go to the bathroom after never being able to leave. And all of a sudden, like eight different times, they decided to rack one up on the kill instead mm-hmm. shorthanded. I'd be furious if I was him. <laughs> yeah. So... It is interesting. So they've got a penalty kill and then a power play kill. Somebody asked. Somebody, are you laughing at the same one? Why I'm are all the Asian players picking coastal cities? Well, friend, I'm going to interest you to a little logic, AB causality, just, just kind of the way the world works, my friend. That's it seems it. Like, I love this text. That is so funny. I Asian love the way. Yeah. Why are all the Asians hmm. choosing coastal cities? Hmm. I, here's the thing. It's not just might be coastal Randy? cities. Also, international airports. Hmm. Oh, yeah. Good wow. Thought. What a, what a th- I, I wonder. Flying direct home might be a thing that matters to me. And hmm. if you're in Japan, and Brooke, you spend a lot of time in Japan, my guess would be that you see a lot more of New York and L.A. on television than you see of St. Louis and Kansas City. Mm. Just a guess. Yeah. They, but here's the thing. Love traveling over to the U.S. Yep. and seeing everything. 
Um, we actually do have a great Asian community here mm-hmm. in St. Louis. There's a Japanese America Society. But we aren't a global city like those cities are. Okay, fine. We but I do zoo. love I do love going to the Japanese of America Society events. Yeah. Oh yeah, great. But that and <laughs> it's not a coast. <laughs> Fifty million dollars is not going to get you yeah. Yamamoto when no. he's getting three hundred million. Yeah, I'm really happy. There's there's a, this t- tiny little Chinese restaurant I yeah. love that's so packed that they're having to open a second uh, location. I love that, but unfortunately, we're not in San Francisco. And oh, by the mm-hmm. way, the coastal cities are also offering the most money. Oh, <laughs> oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I think maybe. Seattle might maybe. be better. Okay, uh, we'll, 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 we'll text here from the three one four. We'll talk about this. The cards were in on Wu Suk Go and tendered an offer since the team in Korea had a say to which team he. He went as well as the player. He ended up in San Diego. This is one's not the bird's fault. Okay, there I you will. Go. I will defer to you then, and not blame the Cardinals. <laughs> that was what a proud moment, Randy. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I feel really good. <laughs> really good. Is that free? It's somebody else's fault, not ours. <laughs> we, you know, it's not our fault that we don't have a coast, and <laughs> also that we didn't, we weren't a part of this decision. But, Here's the thing. We just are not selling our free zoo enough. It's not happening. I mean, and we tried it with Aaron Nola. We did. Yeah, Apparently, I embarrassed somebody when I did that. Remember that person that oh, texted yeah. in one day yeah. and said I was a, I embarrassed everybody in St. Louis because I tried to sell <laughs> <laughs> tried to sell Aaron Nola on, on the free zoo. Yeah. But it was it was so easy to do. It was right there. I was yeah. giving him recommendations for kids. things to do in St. Louis. Yeah. Randy, I tried my best. You I, do. You're, tra- you're, you're a salesperson. I read that Andrew Friedman quote from 2016. Mm-hmm. If you're always realistic about free agents, you're always going to finish third. Yep. Mm. That's yeah. just that's the way the world works. Yep. And hey, we, we've got three this year, <laughs> right? We've got Lynn, we've got Gibson, we've got Gray. So don't mess around with the Lou. Uh, coming up here on 101 ESPN, should the Cardinals push harder for a reunion with Jordan Montgomery? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's the opening drive's fresh take. I do believe the Cardinals need to sign another guy for that rotation. Uh, to assume the age of your rotation will be durable is uh, faulty. I don't think John Mosellock believes that. So I, I don't know if he has trade or free agency if that will be the play. But Jordan Montgomery's price tag is going to have to come down significantly, which I think it might. Jordan Montgomery, to me, has proven that he can perform in a win-now situation in the Bronx, in St. Louis, in Texas, the numbers that these front offices go crazy for, they don't like. But ask Bruce Bochy how important Jordan Montgomery is. That's Greg Amzinger of MLB Network last week with us here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And Brooke, to me, the operative thing that Greg said there, and by the way, it's 806 time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The operative thing that he talked about was the age of the free agent Cardinal starters, Gray. Mm-hmm. Gibson Lynn, who this year I believe will pitch at 34, 35, 36, or 35, 36, 37. Yes. They're older. You do need somebody that has a level of durability. Mm-hmm. Would I prefer to get a guy who has number one ability like Dylan Cease? Yes. But if the Cardinals can't or won't go get a guy that has number one ability, I agree with Greg that they need somebody that is just more reliable than 
a Graceffo, a McGreevy, a Zach Thompson, somebody who you have a better idea of what you're going to get out of. And with Jordan Montgomery, even though he's not a number one, you'd take him and put him on your team and say, okay, he's our number one. He's not a number one, but mm-hmm. he's our number one. I think that Jordan Montgomery right now, even though Sonny Gray finished second in the American League signing Award voting last year, I think Jordan Montgomery is a more substantial pitcher than Sonny Gray is. Well, especially what he just did, right? Yep. He went from St. Louis, which he was one of your best starting pitchers that you had, at least one of the most reliable, and he also absolutely hated when the ball was taken away from him. Don't you remember those moments mm-hmm. with Jordan yeah. Montgomery yep. last season early on? And then he had his quote where he said, I'm not a loser, and Randy, he went on, and he literally won the World Series. And the way that he was such a huge asset for the Rangers at a trade at the trade deadline was one of the big, biggest parts, I would say even a catalyst for the Rangers mm-hmm. and helping them get to that point where they could win the World Series because of what he was able to provide. And also something that I think is always encouraging when we're talking about the durability of pitchers is that his velocity has actually steadily gone up in the bigs. So it's gone from around 90 to around 93.4. And that's always, I think, an encouraging sign when you're looking at the age of the pitcher. Can I be completely honest with Mm -hmm. you? With Jordan Montgomery, when, when certain pitchers come in, I kind of assume ages or players, unless they're a rookie where you know, okay, this is Jordan Walker. He just turned 21 and he just came up. You don't really pay attention fully to the ages. With Jordan Montgomery, I did think that he was a little bit older. So then when I was looking up some of his stats last night, I saw he was 31. I was like, that's actually kind of perfect for this situation. You still have that person where you know he has the ability to do that. There's a lot of encouraging things there where he's just kind of steadily been a force for starting rotations and something that is always a good addition for your team. And adding that, I don't think is terrible, especially considering the age. Now, Here's the thing, though. His projected contract, and we know his agent is Scott Boris, five years, $106 million. Do you see the Cardinals doing that? I don't. And as Greg said, his number might come down. If you could go 4 and 90? Do you think he would do that? I'm not sure. Now, uh, Michael Cerami over at MLB Trade Rumors writes that the only free agent starter in our country that the Cubs have been connected to is Jordan Montgomery. Jeff Passon wrote that about a month ago. Uh, and Cerami writes, there hasn't been any real smoke since, but I'm still holding out hope. I think Montgomery would be a great addition for the Cubs, but there will be a lot of competition for him. I have to believe that he can get $90 million over four years, I, I would think. And it, it might be difficult for him to get five in the current environment, but mm-hmm. if I'm the Cardinals... 20 million a year for five years. I think that that would be something that I would look at. I mean, you, you've got uh, you've got one year contracts essentially for Gibson and Lynn, and you've got young pitchers on the other end. So the only big money guy you're going to have is going to be Sonny Gray that you have locked in. Well, and you have the new Miles Michaelis contract at 20. Mm-hmm. But if you could get. Montgomery. I I would not be averse to the Cardinals getting Jordan Montgomery, but I would go down the line. This is where you can take advantage of the patience of Scott Boris because you can keep trying to get Cease. And then once you determine, okay, it's not going to happen, we're not going to get Cease this year, then you sign the free agent. I believe that's what's happened in Cincinnati with Mm -hmm. their additions of Montas and Nick Martinez. I think that's probably what happened over in Boston when they moved Sale and replaced him with Lucas Giolito. And probably what happened in Atlanta. Right? And I don't know if Atlanta wanted Jordan Montgomery, but they weren't going to wait on somebody else so they could go out and trade for uh, Chris Sale. So I, I w- 
would not be averse to the Cardinals pursuing Jordan Montgomery. Again, not a number one, but their number one. Mm -hmm. It feels like he's a horse, right? Oh, big time. And that's something that you want. And that presence is something that it seems like the Cardinals are really investing in this offseason. And like I said, I just like that he's trending in the right direction, especially at 31 years old. I feel like you could get a lot out of that contract here, especially at the beginning portion of it. He had a career high 188 and two-thirds innings this past Mm -hmm. season, a plus another 31 innings and a sub three ERA pitching, obviously, all the way through the World Series. As soon as I saw, though, Randy, him pitching in the World Series, I was like, I don't know if he I think he's out of the Cardinals budget at this point. Did you have that thought? I felt that, too. Yeah. And especially because the teams that were showing apparent interest, he he was interested in a reunion with one of his old teams. Yankees spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, can really use a starting pitcher. And remember how upset he was when he was leaving the Yankees. Right, exactly. Rangers, who won't have uh, Max Scherzer mm-hmm. for at least the first half of the season, won't have Jacob deGrom for at least the first half of the season. I would think that Jordan Montgomery, if he's with the Rangers, is their day two starter after Evaldi. I would think Evaldi probably starts the opener for them. And then if they get Jordan Montgomery back and they're willing to spend, oh, by the way, I would think that uh, he would be their day two starter. And just talking to people that were uh, are around that Rangers situation, uh, they, they are still willing to spend to try to defend this title. Yes. Do you have any concerns? Because we have gotten some texts in, one about the whole Jordan Montgomery situation with Wilson Contreras this past season, mm-hmm. but also when you bring up Scott Boris, you immediately think about everything that happened with Tyler O'Neill, who is his other client. Yeah. Do you have any concerns about Scott Boris being his agent with this whole situation that we've kind of seen unfold with the Cardinals this past year? I don't think they have a great relationship right now, but if you're the Cardinals, you got to try, right? If, mm-hmm. if there's a player that you're interested in that Scott Boris represents, and he represents all the best guys, you have to, you have to pursue that, even though your relationship might not be great. And Scott Boris, he... He, I don't know how he feels about the Cardinals now, but he played in the Cardinal system. His first client was Keith Hernandez. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and in speaking to him in the past, he had great affinity for the Cardinal organization. He was a huge George Kissel guy, loved the way the Cardinals uh, went about their fundamentals. It's one of the reasons J.D. Drew wound up as a member, and Rick Ankiel wound up as members of the Cardinals, because he loved the way the Cardinals developed players. I don't know if that love still exists. But if you're the Cardinals, I would try to rekindle that and say, okay, we're going to take care of your guy and here's the way we're going to do it. Don't you feel like at the end of the day, he's a businessman and a businessman and he's going to do what is best for the player, what the player wants. So I would hope that he wouldn't be that petty and holding players back of potentially doing something with the Cardinals down the line. He'll never turn down the biggest contract. Exactly. Right. He never will. So that's one thing with Scott Boris. It's abundantly clear. (laughs) He's in in it for the money. That's Brooke. I'm Randy. And that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Jamie Rivers joins us to talk some blues hockey. Rivers used to play on the point on the power play. We'll ask him about Colton Pareko and what we said earlier next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Rick 
Grimsley, Randy Carricker, the opening drive on 101 ESPN, and our colleague from the Fast Lane afternoons, and also the Blues analyst on Valley Sports, Jamie Rivers, joins us every Wednesday morning, and he's with us now. Happy Hump Day, Rivs. How you doing? Oh, I'm good, Randy. Happy Hump Day to you as well. <laughs> and and Happy New Year. We haven't had an opportunity to say that. And it, I am one of those people that says, okay, after the week of of New Year's, you don't say it anymore. Like we get to the seventh, and no more Happy New Year for me. What about you? <laughs> yeah, mine expired yesterday. Oh, good. I'm like, you got New Year's Day, and then usually the first day back to civilization, we'll call it, to where you're talking to people you work with or people you see, usually the 2nd of January. I give the old Happy New Year's, and now I just figure, well, it's a given. Like, <laughs> you've been wished a Happy New Year, you know? Yeah, good call. <laughs> well, Happy New Year, Jamie. Anyways, I uh, wanted uh, to... <laughs> Happy New Year to you, Brooke, even though I did see you yesterday. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm joking with you, but either way, always good to see you. Um, we were talking about this earlier, Jamie, but why don't the Blues have Colm Pareko on the power play? Okay, so here's the hard part to understand. And leading up to where we're at right now, I don't think Colton Pareko was a power play defenseman. And power play defensemen just think offensively just a little differently than any other defenseman. And it's not that Colton Pareko can't shoot the puck. That's never been the issue. Shooting the puck is one thing. Processing play in front of you, looking at it from a power play standpoint, looking at it from an offensive viewpoint where you're trying to create an advantage somewhere, either by shooting or passing the puck. I just don't know if he was there compared to what was available on your current staff and what you had before with Petro and all those guys. Now, fast forward to this year, and it's funny that you asked that question because I was just talking about it yesterday, saying that I would be comfortable now with experimenting with Colton Pareko on that second power play unit with Scott Perunovich while Justin Falk is you know, on the injured list to see what it looks like. And it's, it's really not anything to do with that 105-mile-an-hour shot. You know, everybody loves to drool about that when it happened way back in, what was it, 17? 2017, I think, is when he shot the puck that hard. Doesn't mean he can't shoot the puck that hard, but look at Colton Pareko this year. The job he's done at getting pucks to the net, and he's also scored six goals for the Blues. So for me, it's more important that pucks get to the net and they make contact with the goalie or they're able to be deflected rather than trying to put one through the end boards at 105 miles an hour, but it misses the net every time. So based on what I've seen this year, I would absolutely experiment with Colton Pareko on that second power play unit see what it looks like because people or players do certainly continue to evolve. Hey, Rivs, can you explain to us something that I believe, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but you played with Chopper, and it seems like the the Blues, when Al McKinnis was playing, would set him up at the right point, and it seemed to me like the, the power play revolved around getting him the puck so that he could unleash his shot on net. Is that still something with today's NHL, when you have a guy like Pareko that you can do, not comparing Pareko to Chopper, who is a, a one-of-a-kind, but if you have that guy with that monster shot and put him on the right point, can you set up a power play just to feed him the puck and let him blast away? Uh, you really can't anymore. You know, what's happened to the league is that players now are coached and trained to take away time and space all the time, to take away the shot lane. And even if you have a bomb like Al did, or even like Shea Weber used to, Zidane Ochara, all these guys, 
if you look at the time and space out there, look at every night. If you watch NHL tonight, all the highlights, you can count on one hand in a span of five games how many slap shot goals there are from the point. Mm-hmm. They just don't happen anymore. Uh, players, get, they're just too, too well coached. They're too disciplined, and they're willing to eat pucks. Players now are trained to block shots and take a beating out there. That's why they've got the shot blockers on the skates now and they've got the body armor to protect these guys is because they want coaches want to take away the shot. And so that being said, like it's not that Al McInnes wouldn't be effective these days. I mean, God, that'd be silly to say that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like just it's changed. It's trending in a direction to where defensemen who get the puck now at the point, they have to get it through the – traffic quickly. And you look at some of the best players in the league, like Kale McCarr, at least the best offensive defense in the league. Look at Kale McCarr, Roman Yossi, Eric Carlson, uh, Quinn Hughes. Watch what they do. Every game, when they get the puck, they walk the blue line. They fake the shot. They walk the blue line. Why are they doing that? It's because they're looking to create a lane for the shot. Because whenever they fake the shot, guys are getting big in front of the shot to block it. So that's not available. Now they have to move two, three feet to the left, two, three feet to the right, and zip that puck with a wrist shot to the net to create the offense. So unfortunately, that's where the game is trended now, which is actually why I don't mind Golden Pareko, because he's evolved. He's not just the big slap shot anymore. He's got a real hard wrist shot, and it's finding its way to the net this year, and it's finding its way into the back of the net which is even more important. So that's kind of why I like that. That's good uh, education for me. Thank you very much for that. Jamie, I wanted to ask you. You're welcome. Anytime, buddy. Yes. Oh, we we love asking you all the questions, Jamie, including live questions. But I wanted to ask you about Braden Shin, the Blues captain. He's now been pointless in 10 games. What have you thought about his play, and how does he get out of this slump? Yeah, so as far as Braden Shin's play is concerned, I don't mind his play. You know, you're still getting the the hardworking, heavy-hitting, you got the captain out there. He's getting opportunities. And I think that's the big thing recently in the last, you know, three, four games is he's gotten lots of opportunities. I think he's hit two posts in the last three games. Uh, he's had other chances. It's coming. You know, and you, you listen to Drew Bannister, uh, the head coach of the Blues talk as well. He he did say before last game, he said, look, guys like Kapanen and Shan, like it's coming. It's going to be there. And sure enough, Kasperi Kapanen gets a deflection goal in Pittsburgh to kind of break the bubble for him. I would anticipate during the next couple of games that Braden Shen breaks the bubble too. He just, he works too hard. He does too many things the right way. He's in the right area. He's around the net. Something's bound to start going in for him. Ribs, every year there's a team that uh, does great that we don't expect is going to be as great as they are. And this year that team is Vancouver. That's tomorrow night's opponent for the Blues. 51 points. They lead the Western Conference. Why has Vancouver been so good? Yeah, that's a great question, Randy. I think that what happened is that, you know, last year they started to build a team that was built on speed and skill. And it didn't go exactly as they planned. But then when they brought in Rick Tockett, who I think everybody in in Blues country here realizes that Rick Tockett is just another version of Craig Berube. Mm-hmm. They coach, they played very much the same way. They coach very much the same way. And so Rick Tockett, brought in a blend of some size and some grit. Uh, He also demanded some more grit and some more hard work from guys that were on that current roster. When you combine the speed, the skill, the grit, and then the new coach who's in there, who is a positive guy, he's a hard-nosed guy, but he's positive. 
this team is really moving on a serious clip this year. When the Blues played them in Vancouver, that was the best team I'd seen all season long. I couldn't believe how fast they played uh, and how well they play together as a unit. But the one big thing to look out for on Thursday night and every night that Vancouver Canucks play is turnovers. If you turn the puck over in the neutral zone or at their blue line, you're screwed. They're going to turn and burn, and they're headed north in a hurry, and you're going to be chasing the game all night long. And not many teams in the NHL can chase the game for an entire night to match that speed that the Vancouver Canucks have and the ability they have to put the back in the back of the net. You just can't do it. So turnovers are going to be key. We'll be tuned in for that. We'll be tuned in this afternoon as uh, the fast lane comes your way from 2 to 6 here on 101 ESPN. Rivs, thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. No problem, guys. Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> we, we still have the uh, we still have the Happy New Year gear in here. Oh, yeah. yeah the glasses. Uh, the Brooks getting the 2024 glasses on. Oh, Good. these are hard to see I, through. I was, yeah. saying, I was telling you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, by the way, Vancouver, 16 of their last 20 points that have been available. They have earned 7-1-2 and two in their last 10 games. Coming up, we've got the fight. Matthew, do you need a fighter today? Yep. We do. Uh, text of in 314 Yo-ho! The fight coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight! In the red corner, average Joe listener, And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the opening drive. Brooke Grimsley here alongside Randy Carricker and Matthew Rocchio. And it is time for the fight. And we welcome in our fighter today, Jeff. Jeff, how are you feeling today about taking on Randy in the fight? Uh, I listen every day. I don't know. Oh. I'm going to give it a shot, though. <laughs> hey, you, you're stepping into the plate. You're ready to take on the challenge. You should feel at least confident in that. Take that confidence into the questions today. Absolutely. I'll do that. All right. You ready to take on Randy in the fight? Let's do it. Question number one. While Red Berenson's six-goal, seven-point game gets the most pub, it is not the only seven-point game in Blues history. Which 1970s Blues center matched Red with a three-goal, four-assist effort? Was it Bernie Federko, Gary Unger, or Larry Patey? Uh, I got to go with Bernie. All right, the Cardinals and Brewers have traded NL Central titles the last few years, but who is the last club to win consecutive NL NL Central division titles? Is that the Cubs, the Cardinals, or the Brewers? Sorry, uh, Jeff, you cut out there. What was your answer? I I didn't say one yet. Um, (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. Let's go, Brewers. All right. There is one season in the last 100 years that the Cardinals jerseys did not feature the birds on the bat. Which decade did that happen? Was it the 1940s, the 1950s, or the 1960s? Uh, 50s. And number four, Joe Flacco has 13 touchdowns this season through just five games played, which puts him even or better than four whole NFL teams. The Steelers, Titans, Jets, and which NFC team? Is that the Falcons, the Giants, or the Panthers? 
Uh, the Panthers. All right, we're going to double-check our score, and we will bring in Randy Carricker. All right. How are you feeling, Jeff? A little better uh, or worse? Like everybody says, it's different when you're actually on. <laughs> it, it really is, isn't it? Is it more of just kind of like the, the pressure of knowing that you're in front of everybody doing that, or it's because Randy, right? It's Randy. It's Randy. It is Randy. He's very intimidating. Especially with his grapes and Propel that he just walked uh, in with. Oh, boy. <laughs> Randy, are you ready to take on Jeff in the fight? Say hi, hi to Jeff, by the way. Hi, Jeff. Uh, good to have you with us. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. And yeah, I'm, I'm as ready as I'm going to be, Brooke. Okay. Well, let's get started with question number one. Okay. While Red Berenson's six goals, seven point game gets the most pub, it's not the only seven point game in Blue, Blues history. Which 1970s Blues center matched Red with a three goal, four assist effort? Three goals and four assists. Um, seems like Gary Unger had a big point game. I don't know if it was seven, but I remember as a kid him having a, a game that was great. So I will go with Gary Unger, number seven. Randy, the Cardinals and Brewers have traded the NL Central titles the last few years, but who is the last club to win consecutive NL Central division titles? Probably, let's see, Cubs 16 and 17, 18 Brewers, 19 Cardinals, 20 Cubs, I think 21 uh, Cardinals. I'm going to go with the Cubbies in 16 and 17, Matthew. There is only one season in the last 100 years where the Cardinals jerseys didn't feature the Burrs on the bat. Which decade did that happen? I do not know. But since there's uh, been, let's see, in the last 100. So we're uh, we're doing 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 10s. Yes, the Birds on the Bat was introduced in 1922 as we are now in 2023. Okay. We're at the, we're pretty much at 101 years, so. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I will go. Uh, birds on the bat. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go back to the 30s. Just I'm. It's a total guess, but I'm gonna. I'm gonna say the 30s. 1930s. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Joe Flacco has 13 touchdowns this season through just five games played. Joe Flacco. Which puts him even or better than four whole NFL teams. The Steelers, Titans, Jets, and which NFC squad? Flacco has more touchdown passes than the Steelers, Titans, and the Jets. I like how you added the Titans in there. It's not added. It's just a fact. No. I am just going to, I'm going to play the odds here. And say that Bryce Young does not have 13 touchdown passes. I am going to go. The first team that came into mind was the hapless Carolina Panthers. So I'm going to go with the the hapless Carolina Panthers as my NFC squad that is right there with the Titans in not having as many touchdown passes as Joe Flacco. This was an extremely close fight, a one-question victory. Randy Carricker trying to continue his winning streak from 2023. This would be 16 straight fights. Mm. But Jeff is trying to play spoiler here in the new year. And technically, according to Jimmy Rivers, I think we can say Happy New Year to Jeff if he does win this yes. fight. So, does Jeff take down a Mega Mine, or does Mega Mine roll on with 16 straight? Ring that bell! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker.
I'm sorry, Jeff. Randy Carricker just barely got you. He beat you three to two today. Oh no! Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You guys got a good show. Thank, Thank you, you very Jeff. much. Appreciate it. Thank we you appreciate for... you playing. Of course. Let's go through those questions and answers. While Red Barrington's six goal seven point game gets the most pub, <laughs> it was six goals. Yeah, it, it was not the only seven point game in Blues history. It was Gary Unger in 1971 who put up a three goal four assist effort to tie Red Barrington Ooh, for seven points. Yes, you were. You're a kid for a couple of these questions. Uh, the Cardinals and Brewers have traded NL Central titles the last few years, but it was in fact the Cubs in 1617 who were the last NL Central team to win back back-to-back division titles. One season in the last 100 years that the Cardinals did not feature the birds on the bat, again, starting in 1922, when Frank Trader Lane took over in 1956, not only was he making moves with the roster, but they came out on on opening day of 1956, and it just said Cardinals across the shoulder Mm. with one bird on the uh, sleeve, and apparently Cardinal Nation (laughs) erupted in pure anger for the entire season, and it came back in 57, and it was back. And that's not what got Trader Frank Lane fired. No, it was not. He um, apparently, I I learned a lot about him last night. He was the guy who traded um, red. And apparently he wanted to trade Stan Musial yep. for Robin Roberts, which what? is insane. Yep. What? Wanted to Are trade you serious? Stan the man. Yeah. That's bad. And that got him fired. Oh, my. I couldn't believe wow. when I saw that. For yeah. what? He wanted to trade Stan Musial, and he's like, oh, I guess it's not going to happen. No. Duh. <laughs> Did he just want to just really anger the fan yeah. base? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yes, that was 1956, so the 50s was the answer there. And Joe Flacco has 13 touchdown passes this season through just five games. The Steelers, Titans, and Jets all have below that. The Panthers are even with him. Bryce Young and the Panthers have thrown 13 touchdown passes. So Joe Flacco equivalent to four NFL teams at the bottom. So a 3-2 win for Randy Carragher in the fight today. Congratulations, Randy, because uh, Jeff's off the line. All right. Thank you, Jeff, for checking in. We appreciate it. Coming up, there's a piece at The Athletic that I really like. <laughs> the headline is, Why the Patriots' Bill Belichick-Robert Kraft Partnership is on the Verge of a Breakup. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Speculation about the future of Bill Belichick in New England after this season. And there's a great piece up at The Athletic. If you get a chance to read it, it really outlines the cratering relationship between Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick. And one of the things that is written in the piece, since Tom Brady's departure, Robert Kraft has grown frustrated as his team, once a model of success, has cratered into one of the NFL's worst. Belichick, meanwhile, has expressed irritation at all the success he's helped provide that it hasn't garnered more deference during the decline. When asked before the 2023 season why fans should still be optimistic about the Patriots, Belichick quipped, I don't know, the last 25 years? In the days before this season, Belichick spoke with reverence for Tom Brady that he hadn't to that point. Brady was returning to Gillette Stadium for the first time since his retirement for a ceremony that included a halftime speech, and as the event neared, Belichick called Brady the best offensive player ever, although he didn't refer to him as that when he had Tom Brady. Well, now the team is 4-12, and and it looks like they're going to have a top three pick, and Belichick still regards himself as one of the best coaches ever, even though his record without Tom Brady would not reflect that. His winning percentage without Brady is pedestrian at best. But on his regular WEEI radio appearance, he was asked about his mindset as his cloudy future moves forward. Whatever success 
I have had, I've tried to go about my job the same way every week, win, lose, you know, good years, bad years, whatever they are, you know, just each week, get ready to go for that week, do the best you can to help your team win, and after that game, move on to the next one. And at the end of the season, that's the end of the season. But on a week-to-week basis, I mean, I don't want to spend time or get caught up in, you know, what happened five years ago or what's going to happen two years from now or, you know, I mean, a bunch of other random stuff. So just working on the Jets. He says that he's taking it week-to-week. I wonder if a guy has gone four and twelve this season, probably going to finish four and thirteen, if he really isn't thinking about his future because the noise is definitely there. And Brooke, even if you don't have access to social media, and we'll hear in a moment that Bill might not. Uh, you, the, that noise is still around your building. You have a bunch of journalists in your building that are talking, and by the way, people within your building that are talking about your future there. Well, and also, I feel like it's kind of hard to hide completely in New England and hide yourself from all the noise, right? Because they're pretty vocal there, especially media-wise. It's hard to hide from all that. I'm sure it seems like in every single media session, his job security is being asked, right? Yeah, and he hasn't really... And this happened to, to Jeff Fisher. Belichick was very lucky that he had Tom Brady because he hasn't adjusted to the new NFL. He hasn't adjusted to the fact that it is a quarterback-driven league mm-hmm. and you can't treat everybody the same. Look at the teams that are at the top. They all have quarterbacks that are the star of the team. It's a different league than the one that he entered, a different league than the one he started with New England, uh, and a different league than he had with Tom Brady because even though Brady didn't act like a star and didn't act, he, he didn't take the most money like most quarterbacks do. He was a star, but he didn't have to be that star. And one of the pieces in the article at The Athletic is that Brady used the slights of Bill Belichick as motivation for a long time. Belichick would pick at him for the smallest mistakes in meetings. And finally, mm-hmm. Brady got tired of it and said, you know what? I don't need to be put down anymore. I'm going to move on. And he did, and he won a Super Bowl. Well, and that's exactly what he did. I feel I feel like it's really interesting because talking about looking at some of like the player podcasts, Edelman has, uh, he goes on a lot of different podcasts. I think he does have a podcast. I see it all the time on social media. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about Tom Brady. And the more and more that I've learned kind of about Tom Brady outside of what I, you know, kind of thought of that Bill Belichick basically created him a lot of ways. And you could, he could get he gets a lot of credit for what Tom Brady was able to do. The more I learned that Tom Brady was really just special on his own, unique in his own way, how he went about his business and what he expected out of all the players. Tom Brady really was the one that was elevating all the guys around him, which makes him really special and with everything he was able to accomplish. Bill Belichick, of course, was coaching him, but still, when you hear more and more from the players that have retired and they're speaking out more on these podcasts, you notice, wow, Tom Brady was really at the forefront of getting the most out of every single one of those players with the Patriots, and he elevated everybody's game and now to see that you take Tom Brady out of the formula that uh, he's a huge he was a huge ingredient in that now that you take him out of that formula that formula is not working anymore right because you don't have that special person that Tom Brady who is there elevating all the guys around him but I wonder if that's recognized among the really hardcore Patriot fan base I wonder if they're still in that situation where they're they're saying okay let's be careful of what we wish for because the next guy we get 
isn't going to be as good as Belichick. Well, the problem is, is the next guy they got isn't as good as Brady, as you say. Mm-hmm. And Belichick was almost not not a bystander, but he was a product of Tom Brady's greatness. And yes, they built some good defenses over the years there. And he had some really good defensive coaches. He had Eric Mangini. He had Romeo Cronell. He had multiple good offensive or defensive minds. And he's a, a pretty good defensive mind, although you could argue that a lot of his defensive prowess and the reason that he got head coaching jobs was a product of Lawrence Taylor. I'm not even going to go there. But what I will say is that if I'm a Patriot fan and I step back and look at the entire mural, and I look at Bill Belichick in Cleveland and before Brady got there, and then I look at Belichick after Brady in New England, I'm going to say, you know what, maybe changing coaches here isn't the worst idea for our franchise. And sometimes you need a fresh breath of air, right? You need somebody who can bring in some change. It's usually a sign of trouble, whatever you hear, no matter the job position, somebody talking about, well, look at all the things that I did in the past, right? What about all this stuff? What about all these years of that I did before? The thing is, is yes, you did have some success, but at the same time, we're in a, what are you doing now business? Recency bias is always going to reign supreme and what people think about you at this moment. Mm -hmm. They can recognize the work that you've done before, but at the same time to just say, well, I did all this. Yeah, well, we're not in the past right now. We're in the present. We're looking ahead to the future. What are you doing right in this moment? And that's all that you can look at. It is body work right now. It does feel like we're coming towards the end of this era here. Does he retire or does he go elsewhere? Because we were talking about this yesterday. I thought that the Chargers possibly would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. But Harbaugh, that actually seems like that would be more of an option for them. And maybe, because he still has a year left on his contract, maybe a team like Washington does trade for him. And New England's able to get out and they'll they'll say, well, it's a 72-year-old coach who grew up in the D.C. area and... He, you have to get Belichick on board with it, and he, he wanted to do it. And maybe he goes and works for Josh Harris and makes $30 million a year for a couple of years to kind of ride off into the sunset that way. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you're going to have to look at the track record. 29-37 and 37 since Tom Brady left New England, 4-12 and 12 this year. And before that, before Tom Brady arrived as his starting quarterback, he wasn't that great either. And if I'm Josh Harris, the owner of the— commanders, or if I'm the owners of the Chargers, if I don't get Jim Harbaugh, I don't think the Bill Belichick would be my second choice there. I would rather go with the unknown rather than the known, which is a very low winning percentage. I think his record now is something like, uh, here, I have it here on my computer. I can give it to you right now. But it's it's not good. His, his uh, record without Tom Brady, uh, here we go, is overall 83 and 101. Hmm. 83 and 101. So is that the winning percentage I want? No. If, if I'm getting a Tom Brady in my prime, yes, I want it. But I don't want him coaching Sam Howell because I'm going to go 4 and 13. Yeah. Or maybe somehow the pass will work again, yep. right? Yep. <laughs> Ultimately, Brooke, father time is undefeated. Yes, sadly, that is very, very true here. It's just very interesting to see things fall apart in this way for the Patriots. Yeah. After so being dominant for so long, I can't say that I exactly hate it. Sorry, what? Oh, me. <laughs> I, I love it. What did you say? <laughs> You're like, it's really weird to see the Patriots fall apart like this. Weird. And then do you like the Weird's follow-up, not, though? Yeah, the follow-up was good, but we, yeah. Weird is, and unfortunate, it would not be the words I'd be categorizing with how I'm feeling about Bill Belichick and the but Patriots right nice, now. But then it's nice, because it was a stretch that was a little bit too long. 
Yeah. There you go. Ultimately. Now, and as, some little scandals in between there. Uh, Just, few, so, you know, some little few, scandals. Yeah, little. Do you put, because so, we had some money text this in, do you put Tom Brady also, if, do you look at his career and legacy as a cheater as well, if we're talking about Bill Belichick being a cheater? The, the thing with Brady was, yes, you have to, even though he was carrying out his coach's orders, right? You have to do what the coach says, especially when you have a guy like Belichick. And did it work for them? Well, Tom Brady was looking over to the sidelines during Super Bowl 36, looking at Lovey Smith as the Rams sent in defensive signals. And everybody, whether it's the Eagles, who legitimately lost to the Patriots, or the Panthers, they thought that the Panthers were, or the, the Patriots were cheating in their Super Bowl. So, yes, I do look at those as tainted victories. But once the rules were implemented to prevent taping other teams, and you put a speaker in the helmet of the linebacker or whoever was calling your defensive signals. Those last three are legit, but I give those to Brady rather than Belichick. Mm. Now, as Belichick left his WEEI hit this week, here's the way it unfolded. All right, you're welcome, Greg. You know, if I was going to do anything, I'd put it out there on, you know, Twitter and, <laughs> and my face so everybody could see it, but I don't... You're saving it for the... If I don't do that, then I'll just keep it private. <laughs> He's just, my face he has no social media presence uh, apparently apparently not I don't sometimes when people say that Randy I don't know if I fully believe them like I feel like there's probably people even here in town who say well I don't have social media I don't see what's going on, on social media but then they somehow mention things on social media I'm like oh no 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 I caught you there yeah you have to have a burner account there are some, some burner accounts out there absolutely because if you have to keep saying it mm-hmm. and referencing that you don't have social media and that you don't see anything but then somehow conveniently you might know some things. I don't know, Randy. It's a, a little suspicious. Too. Yeah, I got Do it. you? Oh, yeah. Is it a I hate a Bill Belichick yep, I'm, I'm slash a, Jerry I'm, Jones yeah, account? I'm a total troll. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So here's the way the article wraps up. What seems most likely is a mutual parting of the ways, a chance for the crafts to celebrate and thank Belichick for the years of success while bringing in a new voice to lead the organization. <laughs> the Patriots could also try to seek draft compensation from another team by trading Belichick, but the coach would have to be on board with that plan. Or maybe the two sides can somehow put this season behind them, surprise onlookers around the league, and keep their relationship going for another year. But it doesn't appear that that's going to be the case. And a long legacy in New England of Bill Belichick's is going to be over, it appears, after this 2023 campaign. And we'll see who will take him on. I'll be interested. It'll be a good story. Who who takes on, if you want to build for the future, who takes on a 72-year-old head coach who has not won without Tom Brady? Well, we have seen it in the NFL yeah, before. We have. It happens. I'm telling you, why would, if Saban jumps in the NFL, why not? Just, you know. Band, band together and take over the NFL. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're buddies. They're buddies. Coming up, we've got our Rush Hour Reset on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. The biggest sports stories of the day on the Opening Drive with a Rush Hour Reset. It's 9.06 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker in the opening drive. And we do get this text from the 314 that reads, people can receive information not using social media. I know it sounds crazy, but television and websites still give out information in a quick manner. May not be the breaking news, but who really cares? Well, Bill Belichick. Uh, probably does use social media. I refuse to believe that he's got a television tuned to ESPN and the volume up all the time in his office. And 
he may have a copy of the Boston Globe or the Boston Herald put on his desk every morning, <laughs> right? But I, I don't see Billy as a guy who is going to turn down any chance to get information ASAP. I feel like that's hard for anybody to do, right? Mm-hmm. But especially when you're in that position, you're telling me you don't have a little burner account that you don't go check out mm-hmm. to see what the reporters might be saying. Or you might just have a staff member that keeps track of social media. So even though you aren't reading social media, you've got somebody that is right next to your office that comes in and says, hey, Bill, this is a, you don't think Bill Belichick knows what his players are doing on social media oh, every day? Oh, 100%. I almost feel like you have to have staff members that are moni- yeah. monitoring players' social media all the time, right? Yeah. The Rams had somebody for that when they were here. And I think the Cardinals, yeah, the Cardinals do. The, the Cardinals, Cardinals have somebody do. who monitors their, their yeah. players. Can't have another Carlos situation. No, but the Rams also had somebody who monitored everything that was on radio and TV. That was the full-time job of that person, was to monitor everything that was on. The Cardinals do too, right? Yeah, but this was when the Rams were in the midst of moving. Mm, so the, they the, were they were the, watching every little it thing. It was literally a full-time job. And a lot of it wound up in their relocation proposal. Really? A lot of what was said on radio. I, that's written, what I was going to ask. Yeah. Did they use that as a way to like, see, this is what they're saying negatively yep. about this. They don't want yeah. us here. They're right. not supporting us. Right. Now, there are a lot of reasons to not support the National Football League. And one of them is poor officiating that is causing... A change in the outcome of games, and this happened with Brad Allen's crew in the first week of December when the Chiefs were at Green Bay and there was a heinous pass interference play that wasn't called by Allen's crew. It would have gone against the Packers and would have set the Chiefs up for perhaps a game-winning touchdown. Demarcus Robinson was the receiver. He wasn't able to make a play. And then on Saturday night, the game at Dallas, clearly you had... Number 68, checking into the game as a receiver, as an eligible receiver for Detroit. And the referee, Brad Allen, just there was a miscommunication. And he went and told Dallas it was number 70 that was eligible. And Brooke, you brought this to our attention yesterday. The NFL sent out a memo to all 32 teams trying to clarify what is happening in a situation like this. As a reminder to clubs and players, an offensive player numbered 50 through 79 or 90 through 99 is permitted to line up as an eligible pass receiver. Did that? <laughs> to allow the defense an opportunity to match personnel to avoid deception and to ensure fairness, the player must immediately report the change in his eligibility status to the referee. Did that? Who will inform the defensive team and will make an announcement to the stadium before that play. It is the responsibility of the player to be sure that change in status is clearly communicated to the referee by both a physical signal with his hands up and down in front of his chest and to report to the referee his intention to report as an eligible receiver. Now, let's start with this. Did you hear Brad Allen and I? Maybe ESPN. Uh, maybe I just missed it. I don't think he came on the mic and announced the eligible receiver to the crowd. Did there, he? there was some people that were saying, and I haven't. I was trying to find the video last night. There were some people who were saying that he did. That there is some broadcast where you could hear him say, but he said number seventy. Okay. So he so, he announced to the crowd number seventy, and, and he told that to the Cowboys as well. But the the issue here is. They didn't solve the problem. All they're all they're telling the teams is okay. Here's yes. the rule. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me, based on what the Lions have said, Goff, Skipper, Campbell, everybody, 
what the Lions have said they did adhere to the rule. So why do we need to reinforce what the rule is? I, if anything, that video was more confusing to me because they didn't address anything about number 68, Taylor, or I mean, Decker, who's in that video, Taylor Decker, in that video. I still believe that the players did everything they were supposed to do. Even if you go back and look at the full video, Jared Goff, you could see him tell Decker to go report. Mm -hmm. And then he goes over number 68 and you can see him kind of gesturing at his jersey at Allen. And Allen doesn't look down at his jersey, though. Instead, he looks kind of almost off. And then you see then number 70 Skipper kind of trot into things. And it's like Skipper, the entire game was reporting multiple times. But this was all tactical. This was something that even Campbell explained to them prior to the game it was all tactical it's part of the gamemanship and I still feel like even with that explanation by the way that was Walt Anderson who was narrating that Mm -hmm. I still believe after that that it didn't address really the problem at hand there and I wonder if at some point the league calls Detroit and says hey we screwed up because they did we know it but after they send out this video Randy to all 32 teams they're kind of saying we're not changing anything we're not changing the rules we're not changing or even denouncing that anything was wrong we're just saying hey by the way this is the rules but then I feel like it doesn't help their case in any way because what are the players supposed to do and what else can they do in those situations I think the only thing you can do the, the mistake that Detroit made was having Skipper go over with the hand gestures but not say anything, and he confused the referee. And what you have to do, because you can't assume that anybody's smart, what you have to do is make things as simple as possible for an NFL referee. Unfortunately, that's that where like they are right now. But that was such a big, big mistake there. That's a, a huge it, mistake. Right. And he wasn't thinking. It's it, Maybe it's the end of a game and he's tired. It's been a long weekend. I don't know. I think even he got confused uh, by the, what the Lions were trying to there's accomplish There's no there. doubt about it. And but, best, but here's the worst part of it is is that he knew it was coming because Campbell told him before the game. It, Dan it, Campbell told him. That's what I'm saying is what else can you do at this point? Can the do you think there is anything that the NFL can learn from this outside of obviously they're not going to admit fault based off them sending off this video to all 32 teams. If you could change the rule possibly, is there something that could help that wouldn't put us in this situation again? I don't know if there's a mechanical way to do it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe a guy Do you just have to, to really like actually point to your number or do you have to, if you're skipper or, moving forward, do you hide your number so that Alan doesn't maybe see Maybe the one thing you do, if you go to coaches and players and say, okay, when an offensive lineman reports as eligible, you report as 68 eligible or 70 eligible rather than say reporting. You say 68, 68 reporting. So give the number. Uh, give your number as you report. Maybe that's the way a to do it. A little piece of paper that has your number yes. on it and uh-huh. say, here you go. Yeah. There should be someone on the, <clears throat> like the coordination from the Lions, it sh- should have probably included a coach who was paying attention to the announcement in the stadium. Like yeah. a Lions person should have caught that they announced number 70 is eligible and not number 68. You'd think so. Like there is a point there and somebody does text this in and I know this is going to be a good response from Randy. Would it have been fair to the Cowboys to allow the play to stand when the ref didn't alert them that 68 had reported? And that's the problem. Although I don't really like arguing fair or foul for the Cowboys. Yeah. Well, the the problem was is you you have to if you're going to assume that Skipper was eligible, that means you have to assume that the Lions are idiots and don't know the rules. Yeah, because they covered him up. Yeah. Hmm. Somebody from the 314 just texted in. Campbell did not tell the refs they were sending both players before the play to confuse the Cowboys. Lions got too cute. 
I, too cute I, is also. Did Campbell say that? I don't know. I, I didn't hear Campbell say that. I said that uh, what I heard him say is that this was explained to a T to the officials. I guess he's saying even before the play, maybe, and because he did explain that he told them prior to the game. Right. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, but just because Skipper comes in as eligible for you know three or four plays that game doesn't mean that Skipper has to every time he goes into the game make it clear that he's not checking in as eligible. Right. Just that, when that's he is. too much. Yeah. So uh, the the NFL going to their teams and saying, okay, somebody may or may not have screwed up the other night, but here's the way it's supposed to be done. And I think our our way of changing the rule is the best way to change the rule. Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk to our buddy John Denton from uh, Cardinals.com about where the Cardinals might be headed with another pitcher. That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And our guy, John Denton from MLB.com, has been working hard this offseason as the Cardinals have signed three starting pitchers, made a couple of deals for other pitchers in trading Tyler O'Neill to the Red Sox to get a couple, signing, uh, making a deal with uh, Seattle as well to enhance the bullpen. And John Denton joins us now here on 101 ESPN. He has a great piece up at Cardinals.com in which he went to visit Sonny Gray. John, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Randy. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're, we're thrilled to have you with us. What did you learn about Sonny Gray with your visit with him that you didn't know before? You know, Randy, I had heard that he was a workout maven. Uh, you know, I had heard that he was all business. And then, then you go see it in person. Man, it was something else. Like, he is a guy dialed in. You you would have thought this was a random uh, Monday in Franklin, Tennessee, in a gym, and you would have thought it was game one against the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. I mean, he was dialed in. He works hard. He's not in there to mess around. Uh, You know, he talks about how he's going to be a leader for this staff. He's going to push the staff. He's going to make the staff uncomfortable. And, you know, he's willing to say the things that, that need to get the best out of his teammates. And, you know, he backs it up with his work ethic. So, it, it was really impressive to see, and it's good to learn about the guy. You know, I, I was kind of thinking about it. He's more Chris Carpenter than he is Adam Wainwright when it comes to personality, mentality. You know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to smile or, or wink at a guy in the, in the batter's box. Like He's coming after you. He's coming after you to take your head off. Uh, you know, Cardinal fans know that that's the way Chris Carpenter was. Uh, Waino was dialed in when he was on the mound, no doubt about it. But, you know, Sunday Gray is all business. And outside of that, when you're talking about his personality and the workouts, the things that you were able to observe, what else? Uh, observe what else were you able to pick up about Sonny Gray going into this season? Uh, Brooke, he, he, you know, he said he said the reason I was better this past season is because of the way I work in the off season. Like the reason he's gotten better in his 30s, the reason that his his velocity is better than it was in his 20s, is because of the way he works. And you know, Brooke, you, you know Middleton see well. Uh, there's like 15, 20 guys in there. Like, he's the leader of the bunch. Like, he has guys following him around. Uh, he puts together a group. They work out together at Vanderbilt in the offseason. Uh, James Nail, uh, Cardinal uh, relief pitcher, a guy from southern, uh, southern Missouri, he said he just marvels at every day how he comes in with such a, you know, a determined mindset. He has a plan every single day of what he wants to work on, what he wants to improve, and uh, so it was, it was impressive to see how even among other, you know, there's 15 or 20 major leaguers there. Steven Matz was there. 
that, that he's the leader of the bunch. You know, he's kind of guys are, are coming up to him like, what do you want to do today? Because Sonny comes in with a plan. Sonny comes in focused. He's not on his phone. He's not on Instagram. Like he's in there to work. And, and, and it was apparent from, from, you know, the minute he got there that day. John, even though these three starters, Gray, Lynn, Gibson, that the Cardinals have signed, they gave innings to their teams last year. They're still well-seasoned, 34, 35, 36 years old. Do you think the Cardinals, because of the age of their starters, and Miles Michaelis has had his times where he's been on the shelf. Stephen Matz has spent a lot of time on the shelf. Do you think the Cardinals would be interested in bringing in one more starting pitcher that has shown some durability in the past? Yeah, Randy, I, I definitely hope so. You know, I mean, we all know that, you know, when I was 28, I could run through a wall. But when, when I was 30, 38, you know, you run through a wall and, and stuff hurts the next morning. And, you know, uh, old players get hurt more. It's just the way it is. And, you know, even though these guys are in good shape and they've had durability, uh, you know, in the past, they, they've shown that ability. The, the Cardinals have to give themselves a safety net. You know, right now, I think they're good enough to win the NL Central. But they're not good enough to be a legitimate World Series contender without another addition. You add Dylan Cease to that. You add Logan Gilbert, uh, somebody of that quality. Then you become a, a team that can compete with the Dodgers, that can compete with the Braves, could compete with the Phillies. You know, do you want to just win the NL Central, or are you really trying to win the whole thing? So they definitely need one more start. I'm a legitimate World Series contender. What do you think about possibly a reunion with Jordan Montgomery? I would like that very much. I think the Cardinals would like that very much. They just they want to get him at their price. Uh, you know, Jordan Jordan really enjoyed his time here. His do- his uh, wife is a dermatologist. She opened a practice here. Uh, he he was he was kind of skeptical when he got here, but I think he really enjoyed his time here. I think he would welcome a return. Uh, you know, it, we all know his his agent is Scott Boris. Scott Boris is not going to take a dollar less than he can get. Uh, you know, they're they're playing the long game. They're being patient right now, trying to get Jordan as much money as possible. But, you know, if 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 that side panics, if they feel like they need a deal right away, you know, maybe the Cardinals could swoop in and, and get him at a, at a team-friendly contract. Uh, John Denton from MLB.com with us here on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Another thing the Cardinals did during this offseason is they, they got some relief pitchers that we don't really know particularly well. In the deal that sent Tyler O'Neill to Boston, they get Nick Robertson. They drafted Ryan Fernandez. Uh, they, they got a relief pitcher from uh, the the Mariners, uh, the, the minor leaguer. Uh, uh, Riley. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they add more relief pitching. It w- that's another spot, the veteran relief part of it, that I would think the Cardinals would benefit from from getting. Riley O'Brien, by the way, is the, the pitcher they got from yeah. Seattle. Yeah, you know, Randy, they definitely have to work on the bullpen. You know, that that's the next order of business is adding to the bullpen. I know everybody wants another starter. That's where all the focus is. But, I mean, the bullpen needs just as much work as the starting staff did at the end of the season. You know, the Cardinals traded three relievers at the deadline, uh, and they also had their struggles last year. I believe I think they blew 28 saves last season. So the bullpen definitely needs help. Uh, you know, Brooke asked about a reunion with Jordan Montgomery. How about a reunion with Jordan Hicks, possibly? You know, he's still out there. Um, you know, the Cardinals are craving swing and miss. They want hard-throwing guys. Who don't walk batters and and miss bats. Uh, if you look at the, the the common thread with the three guys that they have acquired, 
they all throw 97, 98, 99 miles an hour in there. They, they're hard-throwing guys who miss bats, and that, that's what the Cardinals are looking for. And, you know, nobody in the league throws harder than Jordan Hicks, so I could totally see him returning if they could agree to the deal. They almost they almost signed him to an extension um, late in July. Couldn't, couldn't quite agree on the numbers, so they flipped him to Toronto. But I could totally see – uh, the Cardinals wanting to bring him back and, and have some insurance in case Ryan Helsley goes through injuries again. So as everything stands right now, just saying that the offseason ended, ended today, where do you think that the Cardinals stack up in the NL Central currently? Well, the the Reds have surprisingly spent a little bit of money. Uh, the Cubs typically have been the Cubs all offseason. I mean, no, no, no team in sports does less with more than the Chicago Cubs. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, how they haven't signed Cody Bellinger back. They they talked about going after Shohei. They talked about going after Yamamoto. They missed on both those guys. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the Cardinals are, are, are could pull off a worse to first. Uh, you know, the Reds, are, the Reds are coming. The Reds are loaded with young talent. The Pirates are loaded with young talent. Uh, I think Milwaukee's going to take a huge step back this year. I think the Cardinals, the division is there for the Cardinals to take. I think they're gonna they're gonna you know pull off that that worst to first. They're at least gonna win the division. I think they have the players you know better than Cincinnati to win this division. It's just are they gonna add that one more piece of pitching that could potentially allow them to compete with the Phillies and the Dodgers and the Braves and you know that upper upper class in the National League. Hey John, one more thing from me. We, we've talked a lot about pitching. We we tend to kind of gloss over the fact that the Cardinals were 19th in baseball in runs and 10th in the National League in runs scored. And I know they had issues last year with injuries, but is this lineup good enough to improve on that? Yeah, Randy, you know, that's something I've been thinking about the last well, last week or so. I mean, we talk about the potential of this lineup, but they, they didn't score runs consistently. They They scored, you know, the offense was a top 10 offense when you look at OPS and, you know, overall numbers. But there were there were seemed like there were nights when they hit, you know, score six runs or no runs. Uh, they they've got to find that consistency. They got to find a way to to hit better in situations. They got to find better ways to create offense and you know get things going. Uh, they have a good lineup, but there were a lot of guys who kind of had down years, guys who had mediocre years. They need Lars Newtbar to take the next step. They need you know, Arenado and, and Goldschmidt to get back to that superstar level. Both of them were really good last year. They need them to be superstars the way they were in 22. Uh, you know, they could use another left-handed bat. You know, they're, that's something they're always looking for uh, because they tend to be a right-handed heavy team. Uh, you know, getting Brendan Donovan back, keeping Newbar healthy, uh, keeping Gorman healthy for a full season, that'll help them from the left side. But if there was a left-handed bat out there available, I'm sure they would jump all over it and, and try to sign that as well. When I was texting with you yesterday, John, you mentioned that you were driving from Orlando to St. Louis. How much did you enjoy that Tennessee-Iowa beatdown by the Vols? Well, at least Iowa's quarterback finally threw a touchdown pass. The problem was he threw it to Tennessee's defensive end. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, congratulations to your Vols. They did the SEC proud there. Yeah, yeah. I talked to some Iowa fans, and I was like, you guys drove all this way to watch that offense? I mean, it's... (laughs) Tennessee played well. Gosh, Iowa, they play like it's 1978 instead of, you know, 2020. <laughs> They're trying to all run the ball and play defense. You can't win football games anymore like that. So Tennessee played well. I'm so excited about Nico's future with the Vols. But, man, it was the shocking thing was just how bad Iowa was offensively.
No doubt. (laughs) Hey, John Denton, I want to get one more thing in here because the Baseball Writers' Dinner is coming up in a couple of weeks at the MAC, and the 2004 team is going to be honored. Adam Wainwright will be there. Uh, We we mentioned 2004 with uh, Tony La Russa and so many members of that team. Uh, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn are going to be on hand for a VIP event, and it's really going to be a cool Baseball Writers' Dinner. Yeah, Randy, thanks for bringing that up. That's, you know, that's that's one of the premier events in St. Louis. I mean, if you're a baseball fan, you don't want to miss this night. Uh, you know, you, there's still VIP tickets available. You can come and listen to an extended Q&A with, you know, the, the basically the young heartbeat of the Cardinals, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn. Mason Wynn has more charisma than, than I could even explain to you. He, he has more charisma than Brooke does. Oh, no. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I try, but I don't know. Mason Wynn, Mason Wynn has a really, really big personality. You're right. Jordan Walker's 6'6", six, six, and Mason's the bigger personality. And <laughs> you know, come, listen to, come listen to Jordan Walker because he, you know, he'll tell you about his story. And like you said, Tony La is going to re- receive the Red Shandies Award. Adam Wainwright's going to re- receive an award. Uh, you know, many of the top Cardinals are going to be there. So if you're looking for that, uh, you know, January thing to shake you out of the, the cold weather doldrums, come, come see us at uh, the MAC on the 14th. Should be a great event. And you can get tickets. Just Google uh, St. Louis BBWAA, St. Louis BBWAA, and that'll take you to the spot where you can purchase tickets. John Denton, thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Take see care. That's uh, John Denton, who covers the Cardinals for MLB.com, with us on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Jamie Rivers changed our, my mind, at least, about what the Blues should do on the power play. I, I've had my idea for weeks, and he just shot it all down. <laughs> he just he actually just fully dismantled that, he Randy. He sure did. <laughs> we'll tell you how he did it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If you have that guy with that monster shot and put him on the right point, can you set up a power play just to feed him the puck and let him blast away? Uh, you really can't anymore. You know, what's happened to the league is that players now are coached and trained to take away time and space all the time, to take away the shot lane. And even if you have a bomb like Al did or even like Shea Weber used to, Zidane Chara, all these guys, if you look at the time and space out there, look at every night. If you watch NHL tonight, all the highlights, you can count on one hand in a span of five games how many slap shot goals there are from the point. Mm-hmm. They just don't happen anymore. That is Jamie Rivers, our colleague here at 101 ESPN. He'll be on the fast lane this afternoon from 2 to 6. And that's a great point. Here I sit talking about how the Blues should set up their power play with Colton Pareko blasting away from the right point. <laughs> but as Jamie mentioned, you can't do what you used to do with Al McInnes because teams have found a way to effectively defend the slap shot from the point. And we saw, we saw back in the day... Last year, Ovechkin do it with the one-timer. We're not talking about a one-timer here. There's just not enough time these days Mm -hmm. to set up and fire a slap shot and break an ankle or get it into the net. (laughs) Jamie just coming in with all this logic and just ruining our grand plan here. Facts. Damn facts. I hate them. (laughs) But is there still a way to just incorporate it maybe a wee bit? Well, you would think that... Just to get a little creative. To see Colton Pareko on the power play? Yeah, because he also didn't deny that he... 
didn't think that that was a bad idea. No, and have him walk the blue line and let him use his skating ability mm-hmm. and his ice vision to see if he can set somebody up. It doesn't have to be a slap shot. And Colton, if he just flips it towards the net, will be able to get some things going. And he does have goals this year. It's not like he's incapable of scoring. Five seconds a game is his average on the power play this year, which is, he was at nearly two minutes in his rookie year. It was something like 146. We looked it up earlier. And now he is at five seconds a game on the power play. To me, he is, he's got to be one of your 10 best power play skaters. Has to be. Because he is one of your best skaters, and isn't that typically what you want in those yeah, situations, yeah. right? Is that you want your best skaters in that situation. And at this point, the Blues are still 31st, and they have, have they've been consistently in the cellar, essentially, mm-hmm. in that when it comes to power play ascent, uh, percentage. They are still 31st in the league. So if 31th. they are 31th, excuse mm-hmm. me, you are 100% correct there. Um, if that's still not working and things are not changing, then why not maybe get a little bit more creative and also have some personnel changes there? I, I think that that would be a great thing. If the power play is that bad, and you've probably tried every schematic change you yeah. can make, why not make that personnel change? Well, you've not had coaching change in the midst of all this right. as well. So yeah. that will be interesting to see. Justin Falk, by the way, is still considered day-to-day. It doesn't look like he but will again, play this we week. What'd you say? But then again, aren't we all? Day oh, to day? we all. We all are. But Justin Falk especially. So they brought up Kessel and also Nathan Walker was seen. <laughs> okay, guys. Okay. I'm trying to give you a solid injury report so here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. It's, Randy, it's a new year. We're, we're supposed to have high hopes. We're, well, I mean, I know anything can happen, but we're not thinking about I don't that. Know why that got right? me so much, but really did. <laughs> I'm trying to give you a Solid injury report here. Come on, guys. But either way, Nathan Walker <laughs> coming in here. You're excited about the Aussie. I know you are, Randy. Nadub. Yeah. Getting yeah. him back, that makes a difference. Yeah. And he, he, I don't know if you play him on special teams, but here's the thing. You essentially lose two one-goal games to good teams, right? And mm-hmm. don't do anything on the power play. This is how the Blues can change their fortunes. They can't afford to be losing multiple games in a row. And... With with Falk not there, like you say, take advantage of some of what you have in his absence to find out about it. And I'm I'm excited about seeing Nadeb. But this is this team is close enough so that if they do succeed on the power play, if they can turn it around, get to twenty percent on the power play rather than eleven, yeah, or whatever it is, that could be the difference in winning and it losing. Be a it certainly huge w- difference. would have been the difference against Colorado. A hundred percent, yes. And against Pittsburgh too. Rather than losing four two and had an empty netter, essentially you lost a one goal game. Then all of a sudden you got two points rather than none. Exactly, and that just feels like that's one of the missing pieces for the Blues this season is just being able to figure that out. Yeah, and then maybe next year. Maybe the year after that, you'll have enough talent that you can overcome some of the deficiencies that you mm-hmm. have this year. But again, if you have great talent, then you're probably better on the power play, too. By the way, the Young Blues and the World Juniors, they're doing really, really well. Dalibor Dvorsky, Randy, I'm so excited to see him play eventually. Me, too. Yeah, Hopefully and, sooner rather than later. Yep. But you said it earlier. You were like, what year do you think that we're going to see them? Well, I think we'll see them in the league in like, well, we'll with the Blues in mm-hmm. three and then other teams in six. No, Randy, not other teams. Yep. 
No. You got Tage Thompson out there. No. Hey, you would still take that trade any day. Any day. Any no day. No doubt about it. Yeah, I'm not saying the Blues hey. aren't going to win a Stanley Cup. <laughs> but they're not going to have a 6-7 center who scores 70 points? No. Oh. But you know what? I, I have to have. This is a must. Don't trade Snuggy. Mm. Snuggy's got to be on my team. Yes. Snuggerud? Yeah. Jimmy yes. Snuggerud. I'm telling you, if Jimmy Snuggerud gets called up, and then grows the same mullet that his dad had when his dad played in the like eighties NHL. Okay, hey, the mullets are back in style. Immediate fan favorite. Let me see what his dad's mullet looked like. So okay. we can get there there were in the seventies and eighties. There were some real high quality mullets. Jamie Rivers possessed one of those. Oh yeah, I've seen a photo of that. Yeah, and um, so did uh, Holly. Holly had a great one. Chaser had a great one. Mm, they are coming back in style. Yeah, Dave Snuggerud, if you want to. Oh, there you go. Yes, you that like is it? a nice mullet. Yeah, his dad had a sweet mullet. Giving uh, me achy breaky heart <laughs> vibes. Okay, look at this, Randy. Oh, that's Look a beauty, at that eh? lettuce. Come on. If, Snug- oh. if, if the man is named Jimmy Snuggerud and he has that hair, I mean, St. Louis will love the kid. Did yep. you ever have a mullet, Randy? Never did. <laughs> you didn't my get my hair just gets trip. all poofy. <laughs> it gets all poofy? Yeah. Oh. So uh, coming up, we've got rock and roll. Speaking of rock and roll. Uh, Plus Randy's photos of his yeah. poofy hair. Yeah. The Cardinals have called a press conference for tomorrow. To announce a major concert at Bush Stadium next summer, Ooh. we are going to predict who's coming in concert. Ooh. We're going to predict that next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock! Let's rock today. Okay, uh, Brooke, first you have to read this text that you just got. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Somebody texted him from the 314. Asked Brooke if she used to call a mullet a Tennessee top hat when she was a kid. <laughs> I have never heard of that before, but now I'm definitely going to refer that. It kind of refer fits. To that. It does. A Tennessee top hat. I have heard of a Kentucky waterfall, which is another way to describe uh-huh. a mullet. It's great, but yeah. I haven't heard of a Tennessee top hat. Tennessee top hat is great. And now that's what I'm calling mullets from here on out. I, I used to think conventional names for like certain um, uh, recreational activities that people uh, that are against the law get into. Mm-hmm. Like Randy, we've had multiple times Randy on 420 has named how many times all mm-hmm. the different uh, euphemisms for uh, cannabis oh, in 30 yeah. seconds. I think now, I mean, I mean, cannabis is a fun one to do. Mullets apparently is a really fun one to do. Give me all your regional nicknames from, from mullets. I'm here for them. Oh, okay. So Tennessee Top Hat, which I'm very disappointed. I'm sorry. I didn't know that one prior. And then mullet. And then somebody... <laughs> texted in a Mississippi mud flap. I, I can't. Like that too. I can't. I, like I can't think of other ones outside of that. Those there has great. to be more be names. Yeah, there has okay. to be some more. So be sure to text in. Mississippi mud flap is another good yep. one, though. Cardinals with a major concert announcement tomorrow. Not a major Ooh. Cardinals announcement. A major concert announcement. I know when I saw the top of the email, I was like, a major announcement. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Now here's concert. one of the things, Brooke, about this particular announcement that the Cardinals are going to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have Joe Buck there. Bill DeWitt III is going to be there. Joe Buck is going to be there. Uh, the president uh, for Missouri of Live Nation, uh, Dave Girardi, is going to be there. <laughs> so my question is this. Who do you think it's going to be? Here's some of the people that are making 2024 concert tours. And who would be making a stadium tour? First of all, Taylor Swift's tour is over in America. So it's oh, not going to be. She's she's done? She's not, not doing it anymore? Yeah. Uh, 
So here are some of the tours that are going to be running during the course of the summer. Bad Bunny. Okay. No. Stadium you think tour? Joe no? Buck will be there for announcement? Probably not. Okay. No. Uh, Nicki Minaj, March 1st to May 12th. Probably too, oh. too cool, right? Not yeah. Nicki. Is Joe Buck a barb? Can you ask him? What's a barb? That's what Nicki Minaj fans are. Oh. A barb? I'll, I'll find out. Uh <laughs> The boss, Bruce Springsteen, March 19th to September 13th. Does he do a stadium tour? Maybe. Yeah, okay. I could see that. I could see it. Okay. Morgan Wallen. He was there last year, but I don't think that he's going back through St. Louis. Okay. His tour runs April 4th through August 8th. Luke okay. Combs. Uh, he was there last year. But would they? But that's my question is, I don't think I ever remember them doing a press conference like no, this right? for a stadium. Yeah. Kenny Chesney. I know that's a Joe Buck guy. I could see I could see Kenny Chesney. One, if you haven't been to a Kenny Chesney concert, guys, I promise you, it is so good. He is really, really good live. April 20th through August 23rd, it's the Sun Goes Down Tour. It would fit the profile of a, a tour that would come through Bush Stadium and for Joe Buck to be the MC of a press conference. That makes sense. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and rip off the early guess of Springsteen only because the most stereotypical thing in the world would be a uh, media member from St. Louis announcing a Bruce Springsteen concert because there's no one in the world who likes Bruce Springsteen more than Midwest sports writers. It's but, the most universal thing I've ever oh, come all across. Writers. All sports writers are obsessed with Bruce Springsteen, so having a sports broadcaster be part of the announcement, yeah. I'm gonna go with the boss. Now this does it looks like an arena tour uh footprint center in phoenix t-mobile in vegas uh chase center in san francisco the forum in inglewood so it doesn't look like it's a stadium tour hmm i here's the thing though is what really is throwing me off is i've never seen and maybe i've just missed the email before but i've never seen the cardinals like do a press conference like no. this where you're gonna have joe buck and others involved and are ready to talk one they're providing lunch so 100 i'm gonna be there for the oh, free yeah, lunch too, yeah. and then figure out for you okay. guys what is going on here but is this gonna be an adam wainwright world tour Ooh. announcement or, guys or wayno's world tour a special wayno <laughs> opener on top of one of these country artists we've mentioned which Wait. now i'm starting to think might be the play that's wayno as an opener on top of a country artist just for that's just for st louis yes. just for st louis i honestly think that might be the play right oh now. yeah you know, okay, a lot of people saying wayno concert but they wouldn't do this for they well, first of all wayno wouldn't do a concert to this level it would be mm. him opening with a friend. The question now is, which country artist is Wayno friends with? Every one of them. I could see him. Well, it did, he spent some Chesney? time in Nashville. He spent time in Nashville writing is that Kenny, his is that album. Kenny's, is that Kenny's place of business? Yeah. Yeah, well, then maybe, in, they're maybe, all in yeah. Nashville. Well, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, some of them might be from Atlanta. There's a lot of them from Atlanta. Uh, George mm. Strait. There is. George Strait is touring along with from Chris Texas. Stapleton, Strait and Stapes. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> it's uh, called the Music City Rock. I know, I'm it's saying. called the Music City. Have the Rolling Stones been in town lately? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. They're doing a stadium tour. Who was the band? I had I had tickets to it last year and they canceled. That oh, wasn't Jason Aldean is also on tour this. Oh, great. He's been around. 314, of... connecting some doubts for us. They said this stadium tour is being announced at Lumen Field, Seattle. So I guess we may have to watch, we'd have to match up. Places that uh, maybe if, if it's already announced that it's going through Seattle, maybe that could be a, a, a better idea. Okay. Somebody saying Wayno uh, opening for Kenny is a, is a guest now on the text okay. line. A couple of other ones. Sammy Hagar. He could sell out Bush Stadium. 
Here okay. in St. Louis, he could. Foo Fighters, Green Day. <laughs> Somebody said he's friends with Luke Bryan talking about Wayno, but I really hope it isn't him. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with Luke uh, Bryan? By the way, Green Day, <laughs> Green Day is uh, doing a stadium tour. Uh, apparently, somebody's saying... Uh, but they're they're at Hollywood on August 15th. They're at the Hollywood Casino Amphitheater, so no, it won't be Green Day. Somebody guessed Zach Brown, Kenny Chesney. Apparently, they're going together, and apparently, Wayno oh. is friends with both of them because he's met Zach Brown before because they're from Georgia, and he's oh. met Chesney before because he's hung out with him in, in Nashville, and they're together right now okay. on a tour, so maybe Zach Brown, Kenny Chesney. Somebody texted in from the 573, Guns N' Roses canceled. Yes, and they did cancel, Randy, and I was so excited. I was going to go to the concert, and then they... Uh, when are they going to reschedule it? Maybe that's what the announcement is tomorrow. No, I think they might have canceled that one. No, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. like they, they're, they're not they, they doing they anything. Aren't, they aren't doing wow. a make good. No, no. So I'm... Dang it. Okay, so we, we've kind of nailed it then. It's going to be Kenny Chesney, 11 o'clock tomorrow, the, the announcement of... Are With we going to carry the press conference, li- conference live? What time is it at? 11? 11. No. No. They're not going to Should we BK, ask BK, BK for our opening? opening. <laughs> I, would, I would pay so much money to be wrong, but there's no way that BK and are going to open their show funny, with the Cardinals announcing a concert. Okay. So 11 o'clock tomorrow. We'll tweet it. We'll put it out on the on Oh, next. we'll be all over this, especially for the free lunch. You know I'm going to be there. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why we're in the sports media. A great job today by our producer and audio and video engineer, Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. Uh, Brooke, was this fun? Yes. How about that? How about that? How about that? Oh, by the way, Danny Mac will join us a week from yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yes. By the way. We figured out the calendar. Yeah, we've done a lot of calendar mapping the last three days, hours. Yeah. Guys, yeah. I, I gotta be honest. Please don't go back and listen to us at the beginning of the show. We were really struggling with math. Like, it was bad. Oh, math and days. I mean, it was a oh, bad combo. It was terrible. Really Randy, Randy, we, we discovered Randy doesn't actually know how long we're on the air every day. <laughs> It's true. <laughs> that's, 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 okay. You can hear that brought to you by Dobson Iron Auto Center. Listen to our entire podcast at 101ESPN.com or the 101 ESPN app. T Mac and Ajax coming up with a balloon party and then BK and Ferrario before the fast lane from noon to six. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show till tomorrow morning at seven. Have a great hump day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.